Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, let me try starting to record. There it is. I don't know what the hell. Oh, jeez. Oh. Recorded live. Hi, everybody. Oh. It's April 12, 2018, and it's time for my private audio call. And tonight, our special guest speaker is Bill Henschel, and after about 23 minutes of dealing with static and phone problems, we finally made it. Hi, Bill. Glad you made oh, it. Oh, hi, Angela. Thank you. Good. To, thank you for having me again. I'm so glad to be here, and got a lot of news for listeners tonight, and a lot of stuff to talk about, and I want to take as many questions as possible, so please feel free to call in and ask them. I may not have all the answers, but I've got more than my share. So that said, i got to start out as I promised I would in Oklahoma City on the way back from Connecticut with a shout-out to my friends there at the Waffle House on South Martin Luther King Avenue. It's a great place, terrific place, food, delicious, and they have lots of personality. Plus, in there, it's worth going way out of your way for a visit. Waffle House, Oklahoma City. You'll love it. Okay, that said. Is that a commercial? um, (laughs) No. But I promised them I'd do a shout-out. They got talking about the issues that I talk about, and a lot of them had a good understanding of what it was that was going on, too. So it was a very – I ended up over there for two hours in a five-hour bus stop I had there. It was a very nice way to spend some time. So I was really pleased with that. I'm trying to help them out, too, back there with some problems, and we'll see how that goes. But I did promise I would do that, and I have kept my word, as I always do. So that said, we have a lot of stuff on the record that's happened uh, since the last time that I talked to you. The first one, believe it or not, this is a real laugher, and it's already I've got it talked up as a win for me. I got arrested for jaywalking. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Oh. Jaywalking. Oh. Actually, what I was doing was common law crossing the street. But anyway, the cop was a nice kid. He wasn't one of these hard, you know, case-hardened law enforcement types. And we had actually a very pleasant conversation. I signed the ticket, which I always do, CF, which is under duress and coercion. They're not... Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Oh, <laughs> hold on a second, Bill. Sorry. My goodness. Are you there? Are you there, Bill? God. This is are you there, Bill? There you are. Okay. Sorry about that. Go oh, ahead. that's quite all right. So anyway, all right. So you're I sent a letter down to got arrested for jaywalking. What? Yeah, amazing. That's what we call, you know, crossing the street. When I've been, I told the guy I've been doing this since the Eisenhower administration. Haven't been hit yet. <laughs> so it was amusing, and I, I, he was a nice kid, and I kind of laughed, and I said, "I'm not laughing at you. It's the system. If you knew what I knew, you'd be laughing too." So I've already sent a letter off to the DA with the Bill of Particulars, and I said, if you really want to see 200 pages on, on the jaywalking case, go ahead and file the charges, but we both know you're not going to do it. So I'll get back to you about that later, but this is the point I want to make here, and you can't do this all the time, especially as we know in Sacramento where you get shot 20 times and eight times in the back. You don't have the luxury of that kind of a pleasant confrontation with these thugs. 
On the whole, though, if you do, I think it's better. And one of the things I teach, and when you learn what I do and how I do it and get comfy with it, you're going to know up front, especially with the traffic stop, that you're going to get the charges dismissed anyway. So there's really nothing to be angry about. You just sign the ticket under the rest, send the paperwork in. And in California, it works like a charm. I've actually had other jurisdictions that go to very creative lengths uh, to be sure they don't file documents because they know what I know. That is, if we get a decision on the record in the traffic case, that's not only binding precedent there. It is in a lot of other areas, like with the Franchise Tax Board, for example, the IRS, mortgage bankers, they're the same issues. That's the stakes we're playing for here, not just a simple traffic case. So that's why I worked for in California, by the way. I've got a case I just got reported from in Northern California. We have a jurisdiction that's refusing to file documents in a civil case unless you produce government-issued ID. I was shocked to hear that, and not much shocked me from this government, but they're really going to tell you that you need government-issued ID? Now, the funny part is they're right about it, but they don't know why they're right. But that's because they don't recognize state citizens. There's no judicial courts. I got that. But this is the issue I want the 9-0 farts to rule on in Washington, D.C. And I'm just now beginning to do a class action uh, habeas corpus. I'll be filing in the California Supreme Court. I've got over 20 cases that are going to go into this. That's I hope is going to be one of them. And say, hey, we have a pattern and practice here of plain violations of every article of the Constitution, not counting the Bill of Rights. And I only rarely use those. But we're saying, what does it take to get relief here? What are the remedies? I mean, everything is there. The Constitution mandates it. The Supreme Court recognizes it. And we can't get there. This case may break it wide open. If you can't even file court papers without ID, that's even worse than not being able to get into a federal court, which I can't do without that government-issued ID. That's how serious this issue is. And it just it alerts you to the fact that they don't recognize you. They don't recognize your rights. And you, to them, you're an alien, and in my case, an undocumented enemy alien, no doubt, comes under 8 U.S.C. 1324A. That's what they think we are. So I'll have more to say about this good of habeas corpus. Anybody in California that would like to join, send me an email at ccaspari at live dot com. Uh, and let me know you want to do that, and we'll work out details. And by the way, while I'm thinking about that, I want to thank all the subscribers I've had on YouTube and the people from TalkShoe as well. And please, I encourage you to contact me at my email address, and we can go from there. I do as much as I can do every day with email, four or five hours a day. And if you have questions and things that we don't get to tonight, I'm prepared to answer you know, as much as I can do in the time frame that I have. Because I know it's important. I know that you don't know from the start. I mean, they wouldn't dream of teaching you any of this stuff in school. They didn't teach me 50 years ago. The good news is it's not that hard. You don't have to put 10,000 hours in the law library like I did. You get my documents at a very modest price, study them, and you don't even need to be very good at it because they're so inept in these damn courts. And you can tell with this uh, recent uh, YouTube video with Matthew Peterson and his interview with with the Senate uh, to be a judge, a federal judge, it was so bad. He couldn't answer softball questions from the Republicans who were trying to support him and get him in office. It was so bad he had to withdraw his name before Donald Trump could fire him. That's the kind of ignorance that we are dealing with, even with judges they don't know. They don't teach him in law schools anymore, or even worse, they actively conceal what I'm teaching. 
that to me is treason, and those people need to be dealt with when we can single them out with enough evidence to convict them. But in any case, that's you know what I've been doing, um, and there's been a lot of things uh, that have happened also, as you know, the ridiculous shooting up there in Sacramento, which from what I've read looks a great deal like second-degree murder to me, you know, of Stefan Clark, uh, and it may, be, may even be first-degree murder because there's no reason for them to have been pulling guns and shooting anybody under the circumstances that I've read. So we'll see how it plays out. And I'm going to say to you people up there that want to take up the cause and bring a lawsuit for him, check in with me because you might actually win a civil rights case. That's how bad this is. But if you go in there and make the argument that the officers, because see, they normally claim immunity because of the official performance of their duties. No, they're not for a variety of reasons that are too long to go into here. But trust me, if you make that argument, and say, wait a minute, they're just like the average Joe six-pack on the street who can't just walk down there and pull out a gun and shoot somebody in the back. That's a more effective argument, and it will set much better case law precedent, although this case, I think, is going to be settled out of court with civil rights. That's how bad this one is. They have to make it look good every now and again, like they did with Rodney King in about 1992 down there in Los Angeles when he got beat up and they had a nice convenient uh, video camera of that event, and they got a settlement out of that not as big as they should have. But at least it's better than nothing. So, by the way, speaking of which, uh, with wins and losses, that's another thing, especially with these traffic cases, that a loss, quote-unquote, in the traffic court, uh, especially when it's only a fine, that's sometimes even better than a win because now we have the record set because you filed the documents that I'm sending you to file, and the DA hasn't answered them. So now... We can go in and people, if you're in that kind of a circumstance, you can join my class action habeas purpose. We're going to say, wait a minute, there's a pattern in practice across the state. They're not answering the bill of particulars, the motion, nothing. And yet they have the obligation to do it. And notice if the situation are reversed and they file notices and things in us and we don't respond, now we're the ones that get convicted because we had a chance to be heard and we didn't take it, did we? That's what they condescendingly tell us every day in these damn courts, especially pesky pro-poor litigants. You had the chance. Now we're saying the same thing to them. And with the record I have in 20-plus cases in California, let alone the other ones I have coast-to-coast, we can establish that and defeat a 12B6 motion to dismiss if they have standing to even file one. That brings them to the settlement table because they can't go in front of a jury especially in my cases where I'm going to be there unfiltered by one of their attorneys and ask them questions. That can't happen. It just can't happen. So they're going to take the way out, easy way out, get you to sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, pay you off handsomely, even for one traffic case. It's so bad. When you run what I know and get my documents, you'll see it. What we're going to be doing to them and what I'm doing now, I have some cases in progress that I had hoped to have had a chance to report on tonight. I haven't yet. But I just checked with the local assemblyman here because I sent in two of them to uh, the uh, uh, Speaker of the House of the California Assembly and Governor Moonbeam up there in Sacramento, petitions for redress of grievance. Almost three months later, I've heard nothing. Now, the good news for us here is that we're not on the clock because we have fraud, deceit, and treason. There's no statute of limitations on that. They are on the clock. When I hear back, I'll be going the first week. I'll revisit the office and see what they can tell me. But now, not only have they defaulted in the traffic court and other courts, 
they defaulted on a petition for redress, and we have a right to that even under their constitution. And we don't even get an acknowledged, let alone if they're going to deny it, to tell us why. Now, what does that tell you? If they, don't, if they don't do that and tell us why we're wrong, how do we know how to tell those people we want to nominate and elect to government positions, you know, to get them in office, how do we tell them what to do if we don't know? There's no way to fix it. And that's what they want. They want to keep us forever ignorant and out of the loop so we don't have a hope in hell of getting in there. And that's why I'm working so hard on developing my petitions and placing them if they fail to respond in a federal circuit court. But this will be in concurrent jurisdiction in a state court. And that's where the fight has been. You will not believe, you get my paper, you'll see all the denials I have, including the California Supreme Court by a deputy clerk of court denying my petition for a non-statutory federal writ of habeas corpus, claiming we don't have that jurisdiction. Well, wait a minute, the Constitution sure as hell says you does, and the Supreme Court recognizes this. So what's the problem here? The answer to that, and you never ask questions you can't answer, is once you get into a judicial court that recognizes our status and our rights, the ball game is over. Now we're going to end this, and maybe pretty quickly, too, because now we are going to have redress agreements, and now there are going to be people potentially going away for a long time in prison for committing treason to the Constitution. And I can prove every bit of it. I have it from Chief Justice John Marshall. That infallible icon of Harvard and Yale, never wrong. And he said that in a case called Cohen's v. Virginia. Email me, I'll be happy to send you a copy. It's at uh, 6 week 19, which is 19 U.S. 264. And this is one of those cases, by the way, while I'm talking about Cohen's, and a lot of early cases, not all of them, but they'll often have the arguments of both sides from the attorneys on both sides printed in the official United States report. When that happens, I take great care to read both sides. That's very important information to do that and to see what was going on. I wish they would do that a lot more today. And it's only in the official U.S. reports. You won't see it in the lawyer's edition, which I rarely have ever used, or the Supreme Court reporter, which is so bad that in 25 years, I'm the most regular visitor they have at the local law library. I've never used it. I don't know why it's even taken up shelf space. But in the official reports, some of these old cases like this one, uh, they have this, and it's well worth reading to see what they were talking about, what the issues were, and it leads you back to earlier cases that can be helpful to our physicians as well. This is the key to legal research. So this is what we do to them, and I've got things set up now uh, so bad. I mean, I've got uh, those of you get the whole packet, both of them. You'll see I have a 71-page brief on admission of new states, which establishes that there aren't any states, and that's that opens the proverbial Pandora's box. Oh my gosh! What? That there's no states. That's good. No states. Seventy-one pages unopposed, and I've got a lot of of uh, uh, speeches from senators back in the day when they actually had some common sense and intelligence talking about this issue, all the way back as far as the admission of Maine and Missouri in 1820. 200 years ago, probably the most important issue that's ever been before Congress. And you read the debates about this and you find out why and what was going on even then. We could have had the war between the states four decades earlier had Maine not, had Missouri not been admitted as a state. It didn't happen because Missouri did get in as it should have. 
But that said, you read this, and my God, the intelligence these people had and the sense of obligation to the Constitution. Where is that to, with today's political issue? You don't see it anywhere. No matter whether it's Republican, Democrat, what have you, it is not there. Or well, either not teaching it or it's, act, or it's actively being concealed. I don't know which. I'm sure there's some of both sides of that coin. But that's why. So I have that. I have 30 pages on concurrent jurisdiction. And I sent that in when I filed my complaint against the thugs in South Carolina for keeping me seven months as a political prisoner. I filed the case, of course, here, not in Columbia, South Carolina. And I was here in jail for almost two months. So clearly the jurisdiction is here. And I get a note back from the judge refusing to file the documents on the grounds that he disagreed with my interpretation of the law. And he had that 30-page brief right in his face. And 90% of that comes from the United States Supreme Court, which I hardly would categorize as my interpretation of the law. And he's going to pay for that one. When I get him before the jury, he's one that's not going to get a break for doing it. I mean, I can't, still can't believe that. But they can't let us in there because once we start beating them, now the worm has turned and we're the ones that walk into court with the loaded dice, not them. That's how important it is. That's why I've been almost 11 years all in because I know it and I can prove it and I want to get the word out to as many people as possible to make as much trouble from coast to coast as we can until we finally get heard. That's the way the system is set up to work. So we start doing that, uh, you know, then we're going to be much better off. By the way, another issue, and I'm sure both of you are aware of these, and this goes along with the uh, Sacramento case and the shooting of Stefan Clark, you know, the shooting in Florida, which is absolutely horrible. Um, but yet these things have, the two things have a lot in common, it seems to me. Now, not all the facts are out. I get that. Now, I suspect, and yes, I'm a conspiracy theorist par excellence, but I do think Florida, uh, that probably, if you get back to language Virginia, you're going to find a lot of information there if you dig in the right places. Uh, but the similarities here are, are what we get because we don't get taught much in the way of philosophy when, when we're in school. And I'm, I'm a big believer of this because in both cases, you know, with the cops shooting up this poor defenseless man and this kid going into school and shooting it up, the common denominator is there that they have no appreciation for the fact that there is a basic right to life. And the reason for that is that we live under a system which doesn't recognize it. And it gets what it breeds. If you look at how the government thinks about you as a quote-unquote taxpayer, and I swear, hand to God, they say, and I've got it, but if I can find the report, House Subcommittee on Banking and Finance, you know, they say right in there that a taxpayer has a zero interest in his time and labor, not to mention his life. That makes them worthless. If that's the kind of principle, quote-unquote, they're going to operate on, how do they not expect people to see that, at least instinctively, and understand that what's the, what's the big deal taking human life? It's worthless anyway. That's what these people teach. And then you get the Supreme Court ruling, and I swear they actually said this, uh, that a taxpayer has a uh, – no, not a zero interest, but a taxpayer uh, can be taxed out of existence without any apparent need for an administrative hearing, let alone a judicial trial in front of a common law jury. And in case there is Enoch, E-N-O-C-H-S, B. Williams, 370 U.S. 1. So if you're a taxpayer, you know, you've got a world of trouble. And actually, they're right. 
or they would be right if they would limit that to the fact that taxpayers are corporations, not you and not me. IBM, Apple, whatever, those are taxpayers. And they became citizens under the 14th War Amendment when it was quote-unquote ratified, but nobody bothered to tell anybody who ratified the amendment that was the concealed intent of the Secret Committee of 15. That came out like 15 years later in the case of the Southern Pacific Railroad to be Santa Clara County when the Supreme Court was advised of that fact of life. So that's what it is we have to get across. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, when we go buy groceries or buy gasoline, we all pay a tax. So doesn't that make us taxpayers? Not in that sense, no. Um, This is tax on quote-unquote income, which is really a tax on your property in the form of your time and labor. Now, with sales tax, you know, at least, in theory, at least, there's a limit there because you can only charge so much. I mean, for example, they enact in Sacramento tomorrow a $2.50 per gallon tax on gas. I suspect consumption is going to go down dramatically, which would defeat the tax. There are some natural limits there, but no apparent limits on income tax, except for the fact that sooner or later people are going to catch on to the fact that they are being taxed out of existence. And that, by the way, comes, and we'll go more into this later, but comes under HJR 192, the Declaration of the Bankruptcy of the United States. And that goes back to the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, 12 U.S.C. 95A and B. What they think is that we're now all hypothecators of goods or stipulators in the admiralty, and we're responsible for the national debt. That's what's going on. And that itself goes back to the 14th Amendment, which I can prove doesn't exist. I've got about a 25-page brief on that one, never properly ratified. But you read Section 4, and I mentioned this before, I think, uh, to the talk to you listeners, that it says right in there that the the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law shall not be questioned. That's where your taxpayers come in. And it'd be nice if the courts were honest enough to tell us that. I've never yet seen that in any opinion that I've read, not anything close to it. But that's the problem. They think that we're all corporations and we're all taxpayers and they own us. That looks a lot like slavery to me, which I thought was done away with under the 13th Amendment. Uh, Another interesting story for another day. Um, But yeah, that's where the problem is. And we get those issues in the courts. And you can't do it. I've seen it tried. Like I just read a case of a guy named Earl Worthing to try to go into an administrative hearing and make arguments like this. And most of them they ignored. And they only addressed the statutory ones, and they didn't tell you why they did that. Well, of course, they had no jurisdiction to rule on real constitutional issues. They couldn't do it. But they didn't say that, and they should be required to do it. So you can't go there. You can't go to the tax court. You can't go to the United States District Court. That's not a judicial court, although it looks like one. It isn't. The Court of Appeals are not judicial courts. And by the way, that leads me into a quick segue here. I was going to talk about it a little later. Uh, the DACA cases that are in the courts now, especially out of Arizona, with uh, Governor Brewer issuing some executive orders there uh, so they don't have to issue driver's licenses to these unlawful immigrants. Well, that, if they make the right arguments, and I'm reviewing those cases as we talk, and I hope this happens in the Supreme Court, they make arguments like what I'm telling you. We're going to get some very interesting rulings because the states, if they're states, will have a lot to say about this. 
If, on the other hand, they're being ruled as territories under Article 4, Section 3, and or Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, that's the District of Columbia, if you don't know. If they're being ruled that way, we have a much bigger problem on the horizon, which is, if you read 4.3, it says Congress has power to admit new states into this union. There isn't a word in there that says they can relegate them to federal insular territorial possessions. And that's what has happened as a result of the 14th Amendment. That's one of the issues we want to get ruled on and say, where is the authority to do this? It doesn't exist. Well, these DACA cases, in a backhanded kind of manner, have the ability to get those types of issues into the Supreme Court and maybe get them ruled on if the attorneys will make those arguments. Remains to be seen whether they will. I wouldn't want to bet my paycheck on it, but it would seem to me that that's you know, what I would do. So it, it's just one thing after another. It never stops, and they never want it to stop. So, by the way, current events is another one that uh, Justice John Paul Stevens, who's still alive at the age of about 97 now, came out recently and said that he thinks the Second Amendment ought to be repealed, the one that the uh, NRA uses for gun, gun control and all that. I would expect Justice Stevens to know much better than that. It never has been a Second Amendment issue. And the NRA has been behind this for 50 or 60 years you know, with their blinders on and not realizing that, hell, the courts ruled on that 130 years ago. Cases, Presser v. Illinois, 1886. I don't know the site off the top of my head. Not a Second Amendment issue. It's an issue under Article 1, Section 9 or 10 because if Congress passes the law or the state legislature does to take away property without judicial process, that's a bill of attainder. That's what the NRA should be arguing. But then if they did that, it would settle the issue. And now they don't have a constituency anymore because the issue is settled and they're not needed. That's the problem. Like finding a, and it, like finding a cure for cancer will never happen publicly because they won't make any money if they cure cancer. It's the same thing with the Second yeah. Amendment. We really don't need a Second Amendment because we all have the right to, to defend ourselves. I don't think we need a Second Amendment. Well, it's not for us anyway. It's to keep their bloody hands off of us. That's what the Second Amendment is about. Yeah, well, we don't. And you can take a look if you want some historical reference on what happens when an area, you know, all of a sudden loses the right to have guns. Go back to 1938 and the Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia and see what Hitler did when they got rid of all the guns there. That's the problem. Now, I'm not saying there can't be some controls. You know, as far as obtaining Well, yeah, you don't firearm. want lunatics running around with a gun, right? If they're a mental case... Well, you don't, but from my but, perspective, I would like to much rather see a lunatic rule to be one by a common-law jury than I would by a shrink, um, you know, given the choice, unless they're so obviously crazy that that presents... So there are issues to be resolved there. I'm not saying they're not issues. Don't get me wrong about that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's much better ways to handle it consistent with the Constitution, not in contravention of it. And this is a hot pot of item that's going to remain so for the foreseeable future, but it still is in the Second Amendment issue. So Stevens, who was on the court for like 30 years, should certainly know a lot better than this. I'm disappointed he would come out and say something like that. So, I mean, go figure. Now, another one probably most of you missed here, by the way, they had a woman in Texas recently that was just sentenced to five years in jail for, quote-unquote, illegal voting. 
Now, that's a case on the surface. I looked at that in my last. I said, wait a minute, illegal voting, and yet we don't have any elections and we don't have any qualified voters. Everyone who went to an election, quote-unquote, and voted could be prosecuted under that law. Everybody. Because what you have to do is declare that you owe your citizenship to the 14th War Amendment, which I can prove doesn't exist. Where is your constituency? Where is your representative government? Where is our Republican form of government? I mean, none of them are there. There hasn't been an election, in my view, in this country since 1868 on any level, most particularly presidential level. So the last president we had was Andrew Johnson, who happens to be the best president we ever had as far as I'm personally concerned. So, yeah, it goes back that far. It just simply hasn't been with this 14th Amendment. It didn't change things overnight, but it was designed to make the changes it's later been interpreted to have made, and yet nobody knew about them. So this is the situation we have. There are no voters. There's no nothing. Uh, and therefore, anyone that's in office, you know, you go after them. And, say, and but in the old days, by the way, we had a common law writ called Quo Warranto. And that's a writ you could use to challenge authority and say, from where is your authority arise? Conveniently in California, that writ now is under the exclusive control of the territorial attorney general and has been for about 70 or 80 years, uh, maybe longer. So you can't go in there without their permission to challenge their authority. Now, you tell me what sense that makes. I mean, I can't find it. And by the way, that brings up another subject with these cases. depends on the jurisdiction you're in. Here, you go into the criminal courts and private courts, and they say the people of the state of California versus you. Well, wait a minute. You look in your California constitution, see if you can find the people of the state of California anywhere in there. I have not been able to do it. So therefore, who is it exactly they're representing? Really? And gets, are you talking about the original Constitution or the second one? Oh, no, the one that's allegedly currently in effect. No, the Constitution of 1849, no problem. And if that Constitution is still in effect, and I have written information courtesy of my friend Adam, who you talked to earlier, and by the way, he would make a great speaker later. Well, um, thank you, you Adam, know, the, for, for uh, mediating while... Uh, Yeah, I was glad to have your help with that, too, because I said, anyway, that said, courtesy of Adam, I have documentation from the office of the Secretary of State who would have the information, that there's no information they have that suggests that that Constitution has been repealed. I agree with them. It hasn't. But the Constitution they use today doesn't say anything in there about the people of the state. And since we're talking about the Constitution of 1849, you go back to Article 6, Section 18, and it says all process shall issue in the name of the people of the state of California. Well, that's the one I go by. You know, that's the one I go by. Me too. They can do whatever they they want to do. But if that's the way they're going to play, then then they don't have anybody there who's representing as a party plaintiff. There's no injured party. It doesn't matter what the statute is, none of it. There's none there. It's worse in states like Maryland where they say the state of Maryland versus the victim because you read Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution and it talks about the original jurisdiction of the Supreme Court and it says in all A-double-L cases in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction. Oh, hello. 
that's a big wake-up call because if those are states admitted into this union, every traffic case and every traffic court of states like that would have to be tried in the Supreme Court. That, to me, is dead-bang, black-and-white evidence that these are not states we're talking about here. These are territorial possessions. That's the only way they can do that. And you start making arguments like this, and I recently changed my bill of particulars to reflect just this sort of thing and get to the bottom of it and say, what authority are you using here? We don't understand how you can possibly be doing this. Well, this is where we go after the bastards, and of course they haven't in my four decades have never yet acknowledged a bill of particulars, let alone answered one. And that's what we're trying to make them pay for. That's why I'm working so hard on my um, petitions for redress, because they're saying, wait a minute, we go up, as I'm doing with the California Assembly and Moonbeam there in Sacramento, and we're going up on the record we set in these individual cases. That's all that's before the Assembly and the governor. There's nothing there on the other side. So they aren't even entitled, as far as I'm concerned, to even appear in front of the assembly or the governor if it comes down to that. They had their chance. They not only didn't take it, but they committed acts of treason in order to make this happen. And this is where I think we have a great chance uh, you know, to get some real redress agreements here and make some real changes in this system. This is what drives me at my age. And what makes me feel so good because I'm getting information out to people, you know, telling them you have this power and you have this self-esteem. And at my age, stage of life, I've got my life ahead of me, not behind me. That's an incredible feeling. And I'm thankful for that every day and my good health and that I'm able to do this. And I realize it's what I was put here to do, and I'm trying my damn well best to do it. And we're all so, grateful also. <laughs> yeah, well, and I've had a lot of faithful friends and helpers, especially like my friend Adam and my friend Joe in San Francisco, who I hope is listening tonight. But he had a family emergency, which is why I couldn't do the program from there, which I did last month. I couldn't get there tonight because of that. But hopefully, if he's listening or if he records it, which he probably will and listens to it later, he has been a big help, especially with South Carolina. You can't believe the amount of paperwork we have against them because of his work and, and helping me set the record with that. So, this is what you do. And this is how we do it. So another thing I'm getting ready to get on to here um, is the use of a subpoena. I've not been a big fan of that in the past, but I'm going to start doing it in certain cases and subpoena in officers, especially when we try to take it to subpoena in the sheriff or whoever it is that is supposedly trains these people. It might be the county council, by the way, who's responsible for that as well. And you get them in there and you ask them in front of the jury, why didn't you train these people? Here's the law. You know what the law is. You see the records that we have. We sent you correspondence. And you haven't trained these people properly. Could you please explain that to the jury, why you haven't done that? Now, that may also be Pandora's box because they can't answer the subpoenas. I don't think they'll be successful in trying to what's called quashing the subpoena. In other words, getting it thrown out. I don't think in a criminal setting, quote-unquote, they'll be able to do that because we have a right to know all this information, and the Supreme Court has said it quite clearly. And if we can't get there and impeach the testimony of the cop that's testifying against us, probably for the most part without any animus towards us, but certainly without the necessary knowledge to be able to do it, you know, this is what we need to know and get in and say, wait a minute. None of this has been before the court before, and we want the Supreme Court to rule on this and make some rulings on real issues, like you said in Marbury versus Madison, you were going to do. Well, here we are 220 years later, and they're falling down on the job. So it's just kind of not the way it's supposed to be. 
Oh, so that said, hold on, here, just a hot sec. Ooh, hot second. Step in the other room here. Okay, this has a sweetie come in from her errand. So, anyway, um, let's see, what's next on the list here? Oh, I do have a word or two to say, and I'll say more about this later on another controversial subject. I loosely categorize it under what I call perspective. And this is about the idea of, you know, marriage. You know, marriage, marriage license, children, and what have you. This is a particularly vulnerable area because the government and thinks that you need one of their marriage people. licenses. We have a couple of people with their hands up, so when you're done... Oh, please, please, no, see, no we'll, I'll pick up on that. Please, put them on. We have questions. Let's get to it. You don't want to talk about what you have in front of you? No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to answer. Go ahead. We'll do a couple of questions. Right. There's probably a good break for me anyway. I'll make a note hey, here. Go ahead, Rich. I like. You've been unmuted. Would that be me? That'd be you. Thank you, Angela. Hey, thank you, Bill. Uh, very Hi, informative. Yeah, very informative stuff. It's nice to hear someone who's aware of similar things and have done similar things. Um, I'd like to share uh, some tools. Um, there's a huge problem. And it has to do with people in government not replying timely or at all. Or when they do reply, it's nonsense. So um, I want to share. Excuse, excuse me. You said when they do, it's, I said, frivolous. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, basically we're not getting what we're asking for. Now, I watch a lot of uh, congressional and Senate hearings, and I'm here to tell you that what we experience, they also experience. FOIA requests going unanswered even when subpoenas are issued, things like this. So there seems to be a disease with government employees. However, I want, I want to offer some um, citations, court citations, that are, uh, w could be added to an inquiry to one's legislator because a legislator, an assembly member, is a lawmaker. So who better to get the information we need from than the horse? So, for example... Um, if uh, th this stuff can be used if someone is attempting to collect a, a debt or, you know, a code enforcement uh, issue or something like that. This first citation is Allen versus McKinley. Allen versus McKinley. Hmm, okay, McKinley. go ahead. It's a 1941 California Supreme Court decision. It's 18 Cal 2nd. 697, 18 Cal 2nd, 697. In any case where the agency has made a determination and that determination has been rebutted by a prima facie showing, the agency has the burden of proving its position on the matter. That That's a really important thing to add to your correspondence to government departments. Here's another one. Roberts versus City of Palmdale. Roberts versus City of Palmdale. 
1993 California Supreme Court decision. Five, Cal 4th, 363. 5 Cal 4 The legislature finds and declares that access to information concerning the conduct of the people's business is a fundamental and necessary right of every person in this state. And that's hmm. buttressed. And all they've done with that particular holding is um, uh, it, it, it dovetails and mirrors what's at Government Code Section 6250. In enacting this chapter, the legislature, mindful of the right of individuals to privacy, finds and declares that access to information concerning the conduct of the people's business is a fundamental and necessary right of every person in this state. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the icing on this cake. Government Code Section 54950, Declaration of Legislative Purpose. In enacting this chapter, the legislature finds and declares that the public commissions, boards, and councils, and other public agencies in this state exist to aid in the conduct of the people's business. It is the intent of the law that their actions be taken openly and that their deliberations be conducted openly. The people of this state do not yield their sovereignty to the agencies which serve them. The people in delegating authority do not give their public servants the right to decide what is good for the people to know and what is not good for them to know. The people insist on remaining informed so that they may retain control over the instruments they have created. I don't know how that translates to y'all, but, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm the boss. Thank you very much. Hey, Bill, thank you. Keep up the good oh, work, man. Welcome. This, thank this, you, too. This, this stuff sounds really great. Thank you, Angela. Thanks, okay, Chris. thank you, too. And a quick comment about that, and that last one I'll be looking at myself to look at closely, but I'm taking the position, among other things, that since we're not represented in any department of government, not the people of the state of California, Article 2, Section 1, Constitution 1849, there's no power at all. And think about this. And I've got a brief on this that people that buy the packets, I've got what I call the 123, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 brief on racial representation in Congress. And the maximum under that, uh, it says the maximum limit is one representative for every 30,000 people. If you do the math today with that section unamended by any provision of the Constitution, with the possible exception of the 14th Amendment, if it's ruled valid, which it won't be, and that would have increased the number of people, so it would make it worse. Think about that. 30,000 people with 330-odd million people here. Congress should have, what, 11,000 members in it. What does it have? 435, which it has since 1910. Congress passed a law then that limited to that, and I'm licking my chops getting ready to challenge that for unconstitutionality. And the big argument here for all of us in every case we have is there's not a quorum to do business in either house of Congress. Because 11,000, do the math, that's 
4% maybe of the people that are represented and 2% or a little less without a full attendance in, in the House of Representatives can enact laws. On the Senate side, it gets even worse because the senators should still be appointed by the state legislatures, not elected by the people. The 17th Amendment isn't there either. And all that did was put us into a situation where we went from a republic to a democracy. And I think, as I said on this program before, the best definition I've heard of a democracy, three wolves and two sheep voting on what's for dinner. That's all that is. And with the states taken out of the equation, in earlier times, that was a check and balance because if the government got too big for its riches, they refused to send senators to Congress, and therefore there's no quorum to do business. I think that's a hell of an argument today. We have zero in the Senate and 4% maybe of what we should have in the House of Representatives. And we start making these kind of arguments, and all this is in my briefs that come in my packets. You know, this is where they run and hide the other way because they don't know what to do. There's no answer to any of this. It's black and white. Racial representation would be understood by a room full of third graders, let alone jury of our peers. That's how fundamental this is. So that's another issue that we'll be discussing at some length, you know, in the future. Uh, just picking up real quick here. Well, if you have another question, I'll put them on, by the way. Okay. Yeah, we do. Uh, Roddy K., go ahead. You've been unmuted. Hi, Roddy. Hi, Angela. Hi. you have a question? I'm just shaking my, my phone cord out of my phone. So I want to make sure the connection is good. It's very good. You sound terrific. Okay. Thank you. Uh, not a question directly for this guy. Uh, somebody wanted me to call in and ask because they don't have a phone or something. Uh, there's rumors oh, that Gus, Gus wants to talk or be a guest on your call. Are you aware of this? Remember Gus Britton? Of course I do. I love Gus. He could come on my call anytime he wants. Okie dokie. I just wanted to get the word out there. It's just a rumor. Just a rumor. So I just wanted to keep, <laughs> well, keep no. yours up. All right. Gus knows Meet I love him completely, and so that's it. That's <laughs> okay. it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have him Skype me. We'll set it up. All right. Oh, okay. uh, I guess that's it. No questions, anybody? Uh, star 8. There's no one in line. You'll get on right away right, if you well, have a question. Up. All right, well, I can pick up where I left off if we don't have any. Uh, and that's going back to the deal with this state thinking you need one of their marriage licenses. Okay, well, two hands just popped up real quick. So what do you want to do? Oh, good. Go ahead. If you have a question, please, I'll pick up here. I got my pages noted where I'm speaking from. So. Okay, wait a minute. Let me get this. Wait. <laughs> okay, Code Red, go ahead, Rich. Hey, thanks, Angela. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to follow up with the, uh, the purpose of my... Uh, referring to those patients, by the way, there's also a killer um, uh, attorney general opinion that, that supports the agencies have to disclose. But th the objective is to send inquiries to the lawmakers asking them about this stuff and get it on state letterhead. They have to disclose the information we want because it's not proprietary. What are they going to do? It took me seven letters to the director of the DMV to finally get a response 
seven letters, but I finally got the response confirming there is no B.B. Jones. It's a pseudonym. Seven letters took seven months, but I finally got an answer. They owe us. They owe us. Sending inquiries is a good idea. So that, that, that's the purpose of, of, of wanting to, uh, you know, point out those court citations. Those are tools. They're powerful tools. They, if they don't respond to legitimate inquiries, which, by the way, when they receive your correspondence, it's a business record. And it can be subpoenaed. And they've got to keep it for a certain amount of time. So let's put questions in our uh, file cabinets up in the state capitol. Let, 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 let's send information up to the file cabinets that they have to manage for us. That could be subpoenaed, perhaps. Yeah, maybe B.B. Jones could come down to court with some documents we've sent. And, and we could ask B.B. Jones, hey, how come you guys haven't responded to, to, to any of this stuff? You know, it's, it's only been eight months. You guys even get your mail? Got to hammer these folks. They wanted to work for us. Let's put let's put them to work. Let's 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 send them into the law library to get the information we want. What types of vehicles are not are exempt from registration? Are state citizens required to have a driver's license? Is the license an occupational license? Send them those those questions. They have to respond. In any event, thanks so much, Bill. Keep up the good work. Okay, well, you're welcome. Thank you, too. Okay, well, I agree with pretty much all of that, but I'm at the point now, I've done a lot of this over the course of four decades, and I have, I keep very careful records. <laughs> so when I go into court, I'm going to have exhibits, I'm going to have affidavits, and they're going to have nowhere to go. To. This is a pattern and practice of not only not doing your job, but you could argue committing treason by allowing courts to take jurisdiction in cases where they don't have it. That's Cohen's against Virginia yet again. And that's where I think we can get them and make them personally liable. Once we start doing that, things are going to change in a hurry in Sacramento and everywhere else because now we're going to be able to do something about it. And that's the direction I'm headed. So it remains to be seen, but I'm going to take a close look at that robbery case. I'll get back to you on that after I do it and see what we have there. But I've, I've had, like I say, four decades, it's enough, and a lot of it ends up getting funneled to the county council here and the county I'm in, and it may be true across California. And county council, is for those of you who don't know, that's the position that's unelected, unsworn, unbonded, apparently with a lifetime tenure. And I have a letter from local county council here claiming that they were refused to honor my subpoenas for communications the other public servants down there because that's privileged information pursuant to attorney-client privilege. And this is the guy responsible. And the county council here represents the DA, represents the judges, and they're not going to respond to subpoenas? Damn. I mean, what does it take here? And, And like I said, and by the way, with county council, you also must be a member of the state bar. Wouldn't you know that's always in the mix? You know, that's some malevolent monopoly on the practice of law. 
And they found out in Columbia, South Carolina, that they went to trial against me. I was very probably going to break the monopoly there, if not in every state in this nation. Because that's what they charged me with, felony practicing law without a license. And I laughed the first time I heard that for 72 days with the judge who was a friendly, respectful judge. I said, well, the problem you have with that judge is I don't practice it. I get it right the first time. And we went from there. And I never came anywhere close to a trial, especially after they got a digital copy of my 575 jury instructions. And like I say, my packets, I don't even sell that. I've never had occasion to use it, so I've never had a reason to price it. I mean, it's that ridiculous. It really is. So I think I'm a little ahead of the curve in this area, given the experiences I've had and what I can prove. And I've got postal receipts for every damn letter I've sent out. And those are going to go in the hands of a foreman to a jury if it ever gets there. And that's why they're not going to get there, because I'm going to show it to the attorneys at the bargaining table and say, you really want me to do this? Fine. Not going to happen. But just a quickie, going back, as I was discussing the marriage license business earlier, and for a marriage license, by the way, you're required, at least in our county and I think throughout California, to have a social insecurity number. That makes even less sense than the license does itself. And when you realize, by the way, the legal definition of license, I think I may have said this before on the air, is permission granted by competent authority to do an act that without such permission would be illegal, a trespass or a tort. Now, you think about that in terms of marriage license, business license, driver's license. I mean, this is the problem. This is why they can't do it. And this is what makes it tough because government, I think, can do a lot of what it currently does but they can't do it the way they do it. In other words, for example, the uh, insurance requirement in California, the financial responsibility law, quote-unquote, can't do it because that's a presumption of incompetence, not to mention a presumption of guilt, not to mention a directed verdict of guilt without bothering to even have an opportunity to be heard, that you can't do anything right. Now, if you go out there and your record proves it and you get convicted by a common law jury or two, you're now going to have a problem and you're going to be subject, especially to financial responsibility, where the insurance companies, you're going to be fair game to them. And they can engage in contracts of adhesion and maybe even bills of attainder. Uh, that's the subject, uh, I'm not sure about that one, but where by your own acts and you've been convicted by a jury, now there's a reason that you have to be financially responsible. Because after all, we're supposed to have a, what, a presumption of innocence here and a presumption of competence. And we don't have either of those anywhere across the board. And that's another big thing that has to change, too, where they recognize our status, our rights, and the fact that we ordained and established this Constitution to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Not the New York banksters of 120 Broadway, New York, New York. We're reaping all the benefits now. That's one of the big things that needs to stop here. And that's why I have people that get my package will notice that I have, among other things, a demand in it for the DA to define dollar. They can't do it. That's more Pandora's box because I have a letter from the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston goes out with my products, and they admit that the dollar is undefined in American law. Undefined. That's the Federal Reserve Bank saying it. So if that's the case, how in the world does the IRS compute? You know, what computations do they do to determine that you have any taxable income at all? It can't be done with the null theories here. There's nothing there. 
There isn't. And the Supreme Court, again, that Cohen's case I mentioned earlier, the court Wait said that. Wait a minute. There's a definition for the dollar. It's like a yeah. uh, hundred and so many grains of silver. Equal oh, now that's if you go back and, and, and by the way, Andrew, you're probably familiar with that section 6852 of the California Government Code, uh, where it defines dollar as the dollar cent and mill, and that goes back to the uh, political code. I think it's 3252 of 1852, taken directly from that. No changes. And in 1852, I'll guarantee you the definition of dollar would be found in the Coinage Act of 1792. I get that. But in their system, there isn't and there can't be because if they define the dollar that way, now the taxable income we're supposed to have can't be because that's property. That's an exchange of property. There's no taxable income involved there. That's why they have to resort to that kind of fallacy and throw people off and not tell them what's really going on. So we have that, and we have, and I think I sent you a copy of this letter, too, I got from a friend of mine, uh, Sandoval, that, where he questioned the IRS and asked him, how did you make the determination that I was a taxpayer? And hand to God, they said in this letter, I, wow, they said, the service's determination that you are a taxpayer is not memorialized in documentary form. We ain't got one. So how, when you get to a federal criminal trial and you put in a subpoena to get the information they use to make that determination, how can they produce any evidence? And without any evidence, the Supreme Court says that's a directed verdict of guilt, and you can't do that. Big case on that is Thompson v. Louisville, uh, three sixty-two U.S. one ninety-nine. Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard of cases where the judge doesn't allow evidence to be entered into evidence? Oh, I absolutely have. And again, in their system... They did it to Irwin, and, you know, they wouldn't allow his uh, his people to get up there and testify, and they just didn't allow it. So, you oh, know, what do you Irwin do in shift? a case like that? What well, do you do when the judge doesn't allow your evidence in? Then what you Where do, do you there go? Is, you know, <laughs> at, at the moment, that's not easy, but the problem is if you identify first the court for what it is and you set the issues in stone before you ever get to that part, because you're in a legislative tribunal, not a judicial court. And the long and short there means that every statute, most particularly in the Internal Revenue Code, is a bill of attainder on its face. And we start putting in bills of particulars and intermediate relief if we can get it, which if we have our federal circuit court, now we can go in there with the federal writ of habeas corpus and get them to stop that prosecution on the grounds of lack of jurisdiction. That's why it's been so tough to get in there. Among all the tools we have, that's another one. And we can use it to stop this business. And that really is a big problem for them in New York. And the Wall Street bankers, they depend on having been able to put a lien on our property in order to go on the money market funds and sell you know, our goods and services they and make money them. off it. They just use the shit out of us. Yeah, they do. That's what they do. This is how they're doing it. I know. I know. Rich is biting at the, chomping at the bit here to say something. So, oh, I've got. I just wanted to let you know there's four people with their hands up. Also, oh, please, let's go. Go ahead, Rich. Go ahead. Did I? Did I want to say something? Did you? No, actually, I just. I felt you. Well, okay. Well. Your timing's pretty good. Um, yeah, the bottom line is, uh, Houston, we got a problem. But the good news is, um, Bill, the guest last week, people you're having on on a consistent basis 
are looking at the same sheet music. This is great stuff. I mean, th- th- this is really great stuff that, 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 that's occurring. The bottom line, from my perspective, this, this is where I'm at with my assessment of things. Their model is broken. It's fatally flawed. It's broken. It benefits, quote, unquote, them because they made it, but it's not benefiting us, and we're all in agreement that we're getting yanked, and our employees are the ones doing the yanking, and that's not the way it works. (laughs) That's just not the way it works. They wanted to work for us, not the other way around. They have the problem with that equation. They can quit. But this this is very encouraging stuff because people are acknowledging, hey, we know uh, from where the power flows. They can't do whatever the hell they want. There's rules. And people are finding those rules and they're invoking them and directing them at the right people. This is great stuff. Thank you again. Oh, you're quite welcome, and that's exactly what I hope to do and get the right issues with the right status and into the right court. The first two I had. The third one is there, but we have to force our way into it or compel them to admit to the American people there's no constitution. And I don't know if the 9-0 farts will do that. I happen to be of the opinion that the American constitution went out at about the same time that Hitler was doing the same thing in Germany in 1934. You know, Roosevelt was doing it here, but he didn't even have the decency and integrity to tell the American people he was doing it. At least Hitler did, for what it's worth. He did tell him he was suspending, quote-unquote, the German Constitution. That's exactly what happened here with the 100 days of the New Deal. Only nobody was told about that. But that's the net effect it had. And it just can't run that way. And they declare all these states of emergency. Now, the good news for us with the non-statutory federal writ of habeas corpus can only be suspended in cases of rebellion or invasion. I don't care what state of emergency, quote, unquote, they declare. That's not sufficient to suspend that writ. And that's why I've had so much trouble getting in there. And I get a notice back from Deputy Clerk of the California Supreme Court. We don't have this jurisdiction. You sure do, uh, if you understand it properly. And by the way, I sent a thank you letter for that to the court for a thank you letter. And I said, I get it. I know why the justices couldn't do it. If they did it on the record, that's treason to the Constitution, and every one of them would go to jail for doing it. That's why they can't. And that's the leverage we have now with the package I had put together, because you make just that argument and say, how many times does it take here? Are we going to be allow them to commit treason in perpetuity? And if so, can you then in the same breath say we have a constitution? And I don't think they can do it. Not even Ruth Bader Ginsburg could do that as far left as you can possibly get. I don't think even she would come out and make a statement like that. And that's the kind of pressure we have to exert on them. And in the meantime, what I'm doing now with my offenses up is trying to get redress of grievance on a local basis for what everybody's been complaining about here on the questions and answers I've had about them not answering when they have a clear duty to do it. And this is where I think we can make them pay. And I'll have hopefully a lot more to say about that in my next time out as to progress made there. And if I file lawsuits, and they'll look, by the way, the lawsuits I'll be doing will look a lot like a civil rights case just to get them filed. But you read the jurisdiction section, 
and you're going to see on the first four pages, I've already got a template for that, and you list all the constitutional violations in the six pages that they've done, all, all six articles of the Constitution. We're not talking civil rights here. We're just getting it filed that way. So we will see how that works out. And if we file it, you know, that's a case where we go from a probably 20 to 1 underdog as a, with a motion to dismiss to about a 3 to 2 favorite and maybe more than that. And they're going to know that and sense that as much as we do. And what they won't know is how corrupt is the system? Can we really get away with this? Or are they going to rule against us if it goes to the Supreme Court? And I think it's going to be very uneasy on the other side, given the issues, the status that we have. You know, I'd like to be in that position, and I'm working very hard to get there as quick as I can and take all the rest of you with me. So, you know, that's the point. Like I said, I'm going to be doing a, a, a class action habeas corpus fit. So those of you that want to get on that, and those of you that want to ask questions and check about my document packets, email me, ccaspari at live.com. And we can go from there with that, and you're going to love what you see with what I'm doing there because I've got them dead bang across the board and with no answers and with the record set in concrete. There's absolutely nowhere to go with that. Well, let me turn the light on here. It's getting a little bit dark here. There we go. And I can read my notes. That'll help. Okay, let's see. We covered that one. Just looking here. We have a whole covered bunch of that people one. waiting to ask questions. Oh, please, if you have questions, please put them on. All right. The first one, uh, I, it's it's. <laughs> I'm going to go to the next one. California, you've been unmuted. Go ahead. Been unmuted. Uh-huh. Did you have a question? Oh, it's Adam. I just wanted to add to what Rick was saying about the FOIA request. And my research and experience has shown that you cannot ask the government, especially agencies like the DMV, for legal determination. What you can ask them for, again, based on the research that I've done, is for documentation pertaining to your question. So like in the example that he gave, he was asking, it sounded like he he was asking for the determination that a state citizen is required to have a driver's license. They're not going to respond to that. that. In my experience, whenever I've asked those type of questions, they don't reply. But if you ask them, provide all documentary evidence that evidences that a state citizen is required to obtain a driver's license. They're going to send you all that documentation because a FOIA request is is not about legal determination. It's about documentation evidencing what you're asking for. So just throwing that out there. Uh, I've noticed uh, in what Bill has shared with me in some of the letters that he sent, He's also shared that he doesn't get a reply, and a lot of times it's because there's a legal determination question in there. But what he was saying earlier about where I wrote a letter to the Secretary of State and asked for all documentation evidencing the repeal of the Constitution of 1849, and they sent me back, we do not have any evidence in our possession evidencing that the Constitution of 1849 has been repealed. And so in that, they tell you right there. Um, so it's about asking the right questions, just putting that out there. Well, thank you. Yeah, and that was really good. By the way, FOIA, just a quick note about FOIA and generally with government statutes, if you use that, I think it's 5 U.S.C. 552 or something I never use, and I don't use it 
because I don't see how at one and the same time you can acknowledge any statutes of a government when you're challenging their authority across the board. Now, the Supreme Court sees that somewhat the same way. It's a, it's a, a little bit nuanced, but they have an Ashwander doctrine that I mentioned before, Ashwander v. Tennessee Valley, 297, U.S. 288, page 341. And they say in there, honest to God, exact quote, that the court will not rule on an issue of constitutional law though properly presented by the record if there is some other ground upon which the case can be disposed of. Now, I think, and I would like for them to have the honesty if they're going to do that, to tell you in their rulings why they did it. But if you invoke FOIA, you're acknowledging the very power that we're challenging. And I don't think that's going to hold water. I would love for them to be much more forthright about that. Because some other ground, not defined. We have no idea what it is. And that's why in my document packets, I have a notice of indemnification that I put in there for people to get to the judge right from day one and say, listen, I'm on advice of counsel, I don't know if I can participate in this hearing. I don't know if I can do anything whatsoever without running afoul of the Ashwander Doctrine, which denies me the right to get a ruling on the issues I have a right to have heard. That's a hell. If you get a judge that understands that one, I would like to see it. I don't like trial court judges. But the 9-0 farts are going to understand exactly what I'm doing. Because I'm saying, hey, we're going to use your own words against you here. We can't participate. We've not had any chance to be heard because we don't know what you're going to do with it at your end when you get it. What we want you to do is the job that you've sworn an oath to do. So we're not going to give you an easy way out. And I take that very hard line. I do it across the board. And I do that because I know most of you can't do it. Fortunately for me, one way or the other, I'm at a stage in life I don't have a family. I'm the last of the line, which is one of those things. But I knew early on, I sensed it, that uh, for some reason, a very young age, I just knew without knowing what I know now. Uh, and it just come in very handy that on my own, I can do what I've done. I've been 11 years basically all in, can't even apply for a job. I have managed, uh, especially lately, thanks to listeners here on YouTube that have helped me by picking up my documents and all that, and some other things I've been able to do. But working regularly isn't one of them. I simply have no right to work the way they see it, and neither does anyone else. So that's why with FOIA, I don't even go there. It's very limited at best. So when I ask questions to public servants, I do it without reference to statutes. I use constitutional provisions and say, you know, you have the obligation to tell me here with the representative government so that if we disagree with you, we can get you out of office and put somebody in there that will do what it is we want to do. But the more fundamental problem, as I said, with Congress is, you know, 435 of them are supposed to have 11,000. I don't know where in the world you go with that. Um, I mean, it just, it, it's, it's plain as day. So one, two, three, I mean, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, you can look it up. It's there. It says exactly what I said it did. So that's what we're doing here. By the way, a couple of things I meant to mention really at the outset, given the day of the year this is, and I'm somewhat of a student of American history, the good news for us, as far as I'm personally concerned, is this is the day FDR died in 1945. Twelve years too late, but better late than never. Uh, the bad news is this is also the day that we got um, we got the runaround from President Lincoln, and they somehow convinced the Confederates to fire the first shots on Fort Sumter in 1861. 
And I read this in a book called Team Arrivals by Doris Kearns Goodman, one of the most famous Yankee historians there is. And she admitted, you know, that the study that she did showed documentary evidence that, you know, they worked as hard as they could to get us to fire the opening shot so that the war would commence in earnest. And it did. So this is, I mean, April 12th, this is what happened. And by the way, along that line, there's a lot of people that say even today that the southern states had no right to secede. Now, I don't see how anyone can maintain that position without them stating that the colonies had no right to secede and or separate from England. What's the difference there? And if we didn't have any right to do that, are we still governed by England? And there are some people that say we are and not without some evidence. Like the Bar Association, for the way, if you're not familiar with that, BAR, British Accreditation Register, are all those attorneys sworn to support the Queen of England? Don't have a definitive answer for that, but anyone that wants to let me know about that at my website, please do. or My email, ccaspari at live.com. You know, I strongly suspect that to be the case, but I don't have evidence. One of the key areas, I don't have a lot of hard evidence here, but that could be exactly the case. More importantly, Bill, what is, by the way, what is your email again? CC. What? Give me your email real slow, though. Real slow. Yes, C C A S T A R I. Not at sign. The A thing. At l i v e dot com. C O M. So if you have questions, comments, you want information about, you know, document packets and so forth. Please feel free to get, you know, send me emails. I'll get back to you tomorrow and or Saturday, pending further developments. It's been an interesting week already, um, and I can talk to you about that. But, yeah, the, uh, the thing, though, with the attorneys and where I attacked them, and my notice of denial of counsel says, well, we can't have one because, you know, your attorneys belong to the California State Bar, which only came into existence, by the way, in 1928, for those of you that don't know. Now, that's a state agency. Government agency, if that's true, then those attorneys would either have to be appointed to office by the president under the appointments clause, Article 2, Section 2, Paragraph 2, or a territorial governor appointed by the president because we're in a territory, not a state. Now, the beauty of this is, and I never got this far in South Carolina, I would have loved it, because the beauty of it is it's they're the ones practicing law without a license, not us. I mean, think about that. That's absolutely amazing, but it's true because in a territory, that's how governments are set up. And unless Congress creates uh, elections for our territories, and they have at least a limited authority to do that, and they haven't done it as far as I know since uh, August 14, 1848 with the Oregon Territory, nine statutes at large, I believe, 323, uh, and they did, but unless they've done that, and there's no evidence of any elections in the territory of California, to be sure, you know, then they have to be appointed by the president or a territorial governor, and that's a major out for us. That is not a loophole. That's a structural jurisdictional error. And at one and the same time, and I mentioned this before, uh, the case is um, – well, I'll get it for you here in a minute. But the court said, let each judge know at the start of a misdemeanor case that no jail time can be imposed, though local law permits it if the accused was not represented by counsel at trial. Now, if it's impossible to be represented by counsel, 
how can they impose any jail time? And I'm taking the Supreme Court at their own words. To be sure, the qualification there is unless the accused has made a valid waiver, but you can't make a valid waiver of a right you don't have. By the way, the case there is called Argersinger, A-R-G-E-R-S-I-N-G-E-R, the Hammond, H-A-M-L-I-N, 407 U.S. 25, page 40. They've actually said that. So they can't put you in jail since they can't define dollar. You know, and my noticing demand to the dumbass, the district attorney, I asked him to define dollar and or tell me how you're going to convict me of a willful failure to pay something that I don't know what it is. They can't do that either. So they can't throw you in jail. They can't find you. It makes the laws for all intents and purposes unenforceable. And that goes for a lot more than just traffic court, too. You immediately comes to mind here, you know, FTB and IRS, if you're going to assess $50,000 in taxes, but you can't define what it is, that's a real problem. We have a maximum of laws in the California Civil Code, somewhere around Section 3516. It says the law does not require the impossible. Well, that, that, I mean, my goodness, if you don't know what the dollar is, it's impossible for you to know how to pay it. And again, the Supreme Court in that Cohen's case, which is the best case they ever decided, that's, um, what did I say, uh, 16, no, 6, 8, 19. Um, and, it, and they said right in there, this is dicta to be sure, not a ruling, but they said right in there that you know, the state pays off its debts in paper money, that they do nothing more than discharge the obligation for the debt. The debt is still due. And that's how we beat the IRS. Even if we made 80, 100, 200,000, whatever these firms are, all that happened was the obligation got discharged. The debt is still due and collectible if and when we can redeem these for gold and silver at the Federal Reserve Bank. And I don't foresee that happening anytime in the near future. That's a hell of an affirmative defense to a tax case. Uh, how are they going to get around that? Now, in those tax courts they have, of course, they can't rule on issues like that because they're not judicial courts. And that's why it's important to get the hell out at the first opportunity you have or make all those objections on the record and then go up there with the non-statutory federal habeas corpus and start asking questions. But they simply can't do it. They don't have any way to convict anybody. There's no evidence. And without evidence, like I say, that, that Thompson case I mentioned earlier, and in with Winship that says the government has to tell you, you know, the identity of all the elements of the crime. That's 397 U.S. 358. That's a very good one to know that they're required. That comes into the bill of particulars, too. That's what we're asking them. Define dollars, define person, define driver, define vehicle, whatever. They can't do it. Those are all commercial terms, and even one definition there gives the game away. That's why it's never been answered in my four decades of personal experience. Not even in my South Carolina felony case did they do that. And I'm sitting there in jail, and they don't do it. That's how bad this is. But it's also how strong these issues are so that we can go down the road and at least get charges dismissed and then now seek our private remedies you know, and, and beat them at their own game and force them to the settlement table, if nothing else, because once they raise a motion to dismiss in the, in the case we're going to file, they've got nowhere to go. They've got no affirmative defenses, and most importantly, they don't have any immunity to invoke. That's what beats civil rights cases, because you go in there and they say, well, the judge was acting within the scope of his authority. You've got no case. See you later. 
not how it yeah. works. See, we have common law actions. We don't need statutes for any of this. They don't want you to know that. We do not need statutes. We have common law actions that go back hundreds of years. The main one is called trespass via armis. That's trespass by force of arms. Then we have assumption, and there are a couple other ones that we can use, and you don't need statutes. Therefore, we're not dependent upon Congress, not dependent on the legislature, and we have a right to go before a jury of our peers and say, hey, guys, this is a real problem here. You know, you give us a break here and do the job and get the remedy that we need here. It's going to help all of us. It's not just going to make us rich, which it will, but it will now set a record, and it will keep these bastards under control like they're supposed to be. Because now if they do this, they're going to have liability, and that makes a huge difference. They don't have unfettered discretion anymore. So that's the whole point about doing that. Uh, oh, by the way, another people, thing here, and I want to address this to Or if you have questions, go ahead and take them. There's five hands up. So, all right, Southern California, go ahead. You've been unmuted. Is that Southern me? California. That's you. Okay, thank you for uh, unmuting. I've got a couple questions that, that pertains to, uh, and I'm going to say them and then let the uh, speaker uh, explain to me that uh, how do I deal with these courts when I've been the judge has given orders to refuse to allow me in the federal buildings under over a foreclosure deal, and that they continuously uh, send my papers back, uh, notice of discrepancies, uh, stricken, strike, all these things. They don't allow me any court hearings. Every court hearing I've ever put on calendar, they take them off and they uh, they rule in judges' chambers against due process. And I put in just about every paper, uh, requested ADA, ADR, uh, TROs, and uh, all the, the uh, discovery, denied, 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 motion to compel. I mean, every single thing. And I'm at my end's wit with knowing what to do because um, they are playing so many games. And I have um, talked to many people, and they say do the common law thing, 1215.org. Uh, they say do the uh, equity thing. They say use their statutes and codes against them, even though they have no jurisdiction over a living man versus we people are not statutes and codes and so forth. So there's so many things that I'm listening to and reading and studying and trying, but with no resolution. Now, I still am in possession of my land, my home. However, there are entities moving uh, month by month, uh, moving the foreclosure sale off to the next month and the next month. And I've demanded a federal rules to procedure 38 trial by jury. And I'm doing all the other things that I feel are necessary, proper and right and getting results I just explained. So if you could kind of sum it up for me, uh, wow. I would love to hear well, something. That's a, tough, that's a tough summation, but you have to realize, as I said earlier, these U.S. district courts are not judicial courts. They're legislative, and that's why and I've not been able to get into one myself since uh, 9-11, 2001. Uh, I don't have any government-issued ID, so they don't recognize me. And they're right, and they're right in your case, too, because we're aliens to that jurisdiction. So my proposed remedy for that, and I'm working on it now, is to actually go into a – and try to get into file in a federal circuit court in the concurrent jurisdiction of the state court and go in there 
and identify yourself as an alien who, believe it or not, have better access to federal circuit courts than we do and go in there that way and get into a judicial court that can rule on your issues. That's the big hurdle. Once we get over that one, and I'm, I'm, I'm closer than anybody has been probably in 100 years, but still not there yet. We have to force them to do it. And that's where the big loss is. I mean, the bankers are telling them, do everything you can and run over like what they're doing to you. You can't even go into court. They do ex parte hearings. They get it against me and my three cases against my employer, quote unquote, when I got fired 11 years ago. And all of the cases I filed in what I thought then was the state court, I know a lot better now, got removed to the federal court in San Francisco. And this black robe bitch Susan Elston ruled me to be a vexatious litigant in a court I couldn't even get in to defend myself. So this is the big problem, and this is, as I said earlier, about the confirmation hearings of Gorsuch, and I think it may come up again in the DACA cases about just what kinds of courts these are. And I would love to see that happen because once we get that established, now we can file motions or risks in a judicial court to vacate all these void judgments and to set things back as right as they can and or to give you monetary damages for what you may have lost as a result of property and rights. Uh, it's, you know, we're not there yet. We're getting there. That's what I'm working every day now. That's what I do 24-7. When I'm not eating and sleeping, I'm working to try to break through there and get to that federal circuit court. They're there. I mean, so are you telling me that, you're telling me that even regardless of everything that I'm doing and you're doing and others are doing, that uh, we are what they see us as. We're on the private side and they're on the uh, commerce side and they can't recognize us, so they don't let us in. And even when I file my cases in the state court, Superior Court of State of California, they strip them with using amicus curies, and, and they strip them by diversity from the state court into the federal court and without remanding it back and so on. I mean, there, there's so much going on. So you're saying just keep doing what I'm doing, but in the process, they'll end up stealing the land, correct? You know, it could come to that sooner or later, and it's unfortunate. That's why we have to keep what I'm doing now. I mean, I don't have any land or anything like that to lose. I've never had any for the very good reason that I knew early on that if I got land, it wasn't going to be a rodeo land. It would be fee simple. And that word fee comes from the Latin word foetus, which means slave. So I understood early on I wasn't going to have any real property. But we have to break through and get into these federal circuit courts because there the Supreme Court says it. You might want to take a long look at a case called Claflin, C-L-A-S-L-I-N, v. Hausman, H-O-U-S-E-M-A-N, 93 U.S. 130. Uh, if you send me an email at my email address, T-C-A-S-P-A-R-I at L-I-V-E dot com, I'll send you a copy in Microsoft Word format. I think I may have one of those annotated. I don't have a lot of cases with my personal annotations. This one may where they clearly recognize this jurisdiction. And it's the only way, by the way, we, that the court could have ruled earlier in time before the 14th Amendment that Congress didn't have any constitutional duty to even create any lower federal courts. I mean, that's stunning when you think about it. That case, by the way, is called Terry, C-A-R-Y, B. Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, 3 Howard, 235, and if you read the dissent there by Justice Joseph Story, one of the <clears throat> most learned men on the Constitution of his age, he wrote a series of books called Story Commentaries. And you read his dissent in that case. And he's saying, in effect, if the government can do this in the area of taxation, there's no limit upon what they can do to take away people's rights to go into a judicial court. 
This is one of the most powerful cases that we have <clears throat> that discusses issues like this. So they reach the wrong decision in Kerry, or if they reach the right decision, <clears throat> that tells us that these courts are available in state courts with concurrent jurisdiction. They have to be, or what that tells you is that there's no need for Article 1, Sections 9 and 10, and at least the ninth Article of the Amendment, because you can't enforce them. There's no judicial courts. And I personally don't think the framers of the Constitution were that stupid. I don't buy that for a minute. So those judicial courts have to be there. Once we break through and get there, it's going to go viral. Because, it's, I mean, we can do just about anything we want to. Those are our own courts, in effect. And you check Article 42 of the Magna Carta, and it says that, you know, a free man can't be stripped of the, of, of the use of his own court. It doesn't say quite in that language. But it says a free man, you know, has his own court. Now, that goes back 800 years. And the framers of the Constitution were well aware of the Magna Carta when they drafted that document. So we have our own courts. If we go into their courts, and that was one of the points they made in that Cherry case, by the way, that the United States was sovereign and couldn't be sued in its own courts. Well, that's the wrong mode of thought. And this is like 1842, long before the 14th Amendment came around. When we go into a court, we're the sovereign. We're the beneficiary of the trust. They are the trustee. We tell them what to do, not the opposite way. So if we can't go into their courts, fine, then we'll go into our own courts, and I believe those courts are a federal circuit court, as I said. It may even be a recorder's court or a notary court. Now, those are both provided for, especially the recorder's court, as you probably know, and so Article 6, Section 10 of the Constitution of 1849 mentions the recorder's court and yet, I've never had anybody respond in the recorder's office. They don't know what the hell I'm talking about there. Now, the then, then court. So, so then it sounds like it might be a good idea if we ever get into these courts that we open up the court ourselves and we take over as uh, the sovereign of the court. Because when we're in court, we as one of the people, and they are, uh, again, we've got commercial side and the private side and the private side is going into the commercial side and they're going to say no you're not going to do that in my house isn't it true that then maybe we should open it up as I so and so now declare the superior court of state when you're opening now in session therefore we lead the as the sovereign of the court because our court follows us everywhere we go within our regal retinue and if that's true which it is by the constitution and so forth as you said article 42 of the Magna Carta then should we not just go in and open up our own court? Well, that may be one way to do that eventually. It's another area I'm looking into. And among other things, by the way, I'm going to be sending out a letter to the good old California Chief Justice, Tony Cantillo Sequoia, and ask if we come to your court invoking that concurrent jurisdiction, are you or are you not bound by Article 6, Section 2 that says that the judges are bound by this Constitution and the laws enacted in pursuance thereof? Okay. Now, even though you might be sitting in a legislative tribunal where you're not bound by it, if we invoke that jurisdiction, are you or are you not bound? And if not, why not? By the way, another case you want to look at on this subject matter called... Um, Ex parte pro dog, 109 U.S. 556. And that talks about the fact that 
the uh, territorial tribunals in territories at that time, not insular territories like the Philippines and, and Puerto Rico, but the ones within the continental United States, and we had some at that time that still existed. Say those courts had an alternative jurisdiction, and they sat as a federal circuit court. So even if these states are territories, we have access to that jurisdiction. And I believe for that reason that those territorial judges would be bound by 6-2 when we get in there and would have to rule in our favor or commit treason to the Constitution if they don't. Okay. Yeah. Now, so that I don't take up any more time for others that they have their hands up, C, C, A is an apple, S is in Sam, P is in Paul, A is an apple, R is in Robert, I is an iguana at live.com. Yeah, live.com. Yes, please yes. send me an email or two, and I'll catch up. I'll answer some more questions, and we'll see what we can do. Thank you. Did you get the – it's C-C-S, right? No, C-C-A-S. Yeah, C-C-A-S-P-A-R-I. Okay. All right, thanks. At com. Thank you. And, and I will relinquish my right time to, to the next Good. Well, thank you very much for having questions. I appreciate that, too. Yes. Yeah, all right. Next up is uh, East Maryland. Go ahead, East. Oops. There you go. Oh, maybe that's Ranger Major Ron. That you, Ron? Hi, Angie. I forgot Hi. my question. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it happens to me, too. Oh, well, you get old. I'm going to be sending you here. Oh. Okay, well, right, stand by. You're just somebody else. All, All right, right, stand by if you think you, about it. You think I'll come it, back again uh, and we'll answer it. I'll, I'll answer <laughs> okay. okay. All right, next up, guest 29. You've been unmuted. Go ahead, guest 29. Hi, Angie. This is Randy. Hi. Hi. Uh, okay, so I've got a question uh, for Bill here. Uh, Bill, uh, I did a lot of research over about 23 years, and one day I finally had an epiphany, and what it came down to was there was fraud running through everything that we deal with. It doesn't matter what you look at, you know, uh, if there's, there's somebody trying to commit some kind of a fraud upon us. Uh, are you familiar with the definitions of fraud as in Black's Law Dictionary? Oh, I'm sure. I got Black's third and Black's fourth at home. So you're fraud and treason. Okay. Let alone fraud, All right. treason. So, all right. So I formulated a, a few questions out of this uh, idea that I had. Uh, and the first one goes like this. What is the exact amount of fraud that any man or woman has the right to commit. Okay. Well, that's an interesting start. Okay, right, go now, ahead. Now, here's another one. What is the exact amount of fraud that any man or woman has an actual obligation to endure? Now, you notice I didn't say person. That's, that's, that's Mark Stevens. You see? You're quoting Mark Stevens. All these Stevens. statutes I always uh, refer to any person sub subject to or in some crap like that. In fact, I wrote a paper on that uh, uh, titled... Uh, any person subject to. Well, what makes somebody a person? What makes somebody a taxpayer? Where's their burden of proof uh, to assert their claim? You know, as you know, there isn't any. That's Article 4, Section 4 right. of the 14th okay. Amendment, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, all right, now let's uh, take this up a notch. What if you were to write a letter uh, uh, or a notice in demand uh, to every attorney general in the U.S. at state and, uh, you know, federal level, whatever, and ask them those questions. Doesn't that put them on notice that you're onto their fraud? Oh, it would. And in that case, I would amend those questions to say, 
you know, how much fraud can be committed by a person who's in a position of honor, profit, and trust in government with the no, sworn no, no, oath. No, no, forget about the person because that's uh, the, the fictitious, that the legal fiction. Well, you can use individual. Any man or woman. Uh, well, you can use that, but you say, you know, if you're you have a, in a position of profit, honor, profit, and trust, how much fraud can you commit consistent with your oath of office? Right. The answer yeah, to me would be zero. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as long as you uh, keep putting in these indef- indefinable terms, or I should say they refuse to define terms, uh, because they'll never tell you uh, what they mean when they say person, uh, there's a whole uh, boatload oh, of Oh, Randy, uh, oh, right? I know who you are now. Hi, Randy. Sorry about that. Oh. That's Go okay. ahead. Okay. Well, yeah, of course, person to me means the same thing it does in the 14th War Amendment, corporation. Right. End of story. Yeah, so we're not addressing persons. We're addressing men and women who are actually committing crimes against us. Yeah, we are. Now, you can consider them persons, though, since they owe their citizenship to that amendment. Are they not a corporate yeah, entity? As a person, they can uh, uh, declare that they've got some kind of immunity, Okay. But oh, no, woman, no, 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 not when, you, not when you commit treason and you act without jurisdiction, quorum non judis. No, there's no immunity there. Okay. But None. But it comes back to it's a man or a woman, uh, a flesh and blood living person or a human being, uh, or depending on that uh, definition, human being, uh, but there's a man or a woman who is a living and breathing entity who is committing these acts against us and upon us. So... Uh, where do they get the right to commit a crime against us? Yeah, well, quite clearly they don't. I mean, that's the whole point well, of what go. I'm doing. That's I'm saying, wait a minute. The, see, that's the crux of the situation here, is they are committing crimes upon us, left, right, and center, and they have absolutely no right to do it, and we have absolutely no obligation to endure it. Right. We have no yeah, obligation we, or duty. Yeah, 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 exactly. We have no obligation or duty to endure the crimes of other people, right? So when judges there and they're being vague and evasive and they won't tell you this and they won't tell you that and they won't allow your evidence, well, aren't they committing a fraud upon you? Well, at least that. Like I say, Chief Justice Marshall said treatment. That's one of our exit points from the, the matrix. I wrote a paper on that called The Holes in the Legal System. The legal system is like a piece of Swiss cheese. It's got uh, some big holes and it's got some small holes. And But any one of those holes, uh, you can step into it, and you, that's your exit point from the matrix, uh, from the legal system, because the legal system is totally corrupted. And I wrote a paper on that also called The Scam of the Legal System. You can find that online in various places. Hmm. Thank you, Randy. Okay, I appreciate your input. Okay. Go ahead, Bill. Good. Thank you, Randy. Thank yeah, no problem. Just making note about that. I'll take a look at that document that he wrote. Yeah, we're pretty much on the same yeah, page here. It's about two pages long, Bill, so it's really easy to print out on a single sheet of paper, and you can hand it out, you know. Yeah, I got it, Randy. Okay, I'll take a look at that, and we'll see. I'm sure we're on parallel paths here at least. Oh, yeah, Trying to get to the same goal. Yeah. So that's the good news, and hopefully we're both going to get there. And, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take. It's been for me about 30 seven years, no, 36 years, and I'm still going. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, the road, I think, is getting a lot shorter here because of all those records I have and I can establish and prove. I've got them in my hand. They go from my hand to the foreman of the jury if it ever gets that far. That's relevant, admissible, yeah, and yeah, if they move the, to strike that, yeah, but you know, the now... The stupidest people they can find to sit on the juries. 
You know, that's the other thing, and that's why I have 575 yeah, jury instructions. Yeah. Well, who, who are a man's I, peers, Bill? What? Who are a man's peers? Well, we're not going to get any of those currently on a jury, but what I'm going to yeah. tell them if I get that far is yeah. apologize for the number of instructions I've given you, but the plain fact that matter is they didn't teach you in school any more than what they taught me, and right. you need to oh, yeah. know all of this in order to make an accurate decision here. Right. And well, they're all going to be relevant and admissible. Yeah, well, here's what I read many years ago. I forget who said it, but he said, uh, this is the question. It says, and who are a man's peers? They are his friends, neighbors, and business acquaintances, for who else should know him better in order to judge him? Oh, especially in a defensive situation, yes. Offensively, it may be a little different, but defensively, yeah, that's the whole point. And right. yet we never get anywhere close to a jury, as yeah. you probably know, as the Supreme Court has said. Right, you know, no they, right to a yeah. trial by jury in a misdemeanor case. Yeah, because the legal system is totally 100% corrupted. Uh, how can you uh, depend or rely upon a dishonorable man or woman to do an honorable thing? Well, you can't. Yeah, that's right, and that's the argument I'm making is by accepting that 14th Amendment citizenship, you now have irreconcilable conflicts of interest against us. Right. Because when we succeed, our citizenship is restored, and you become stateless entities, and we'll do with you what we damn well please. That's exactly what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. That's the. That's the. Okay. Now here's the third. What I, of what I call the three magic questions. What is the basic premise that is being operated off of in the instant case? Now, what that directly translates to is what is the rationale for doing the things that they're doing to us. And it's like you said, they consider us to be property, chattel, uh, slaves, non-entities, whatever uh, the soup of the day is. That's their reason. That's their basic premise that they're operating off of, is that we have no rights. We're we're just taxpayers, somebody to be uh, squeezed the life out of, you know. Yeah, and on that particular point, Randy, you, you're probably aware, and the only thing I learned when I was in school 50 years ago about the Supreme Court was Marbury, which I'm not a big fan of, and Scott B. Sanford, which is otherwise better known as that infamous Dred Scott decision. I'm so damn old I hadn't decided Marbury, uh, but, uh, Miranda B. Arizona yet. But Marbury, of course, they had, you know, Roger Brooke Tony has been slaved for 150 years for writing in there that the black man had no rights, the white man was bound to respect. That's in there exactly. Yeah. But you read the context he was talking about. That goes back to the prior to the Declaration of Independence. It has nothing to do with the current times in 1857. But that's what they're saying to us now. It's the same type of slavery. And until we get that across, and especially across to people of color, and say things haven't changed in 150 years, except that they've made us all equal by bringing us down to your level, that's when we start to get some real you know, togetherness and some more pull and, and get people across all kinds of lines to say, wait a minute here, none of this is right, and it isn't. Yeah. yeah. So okay. that's why I'm so, by the way, so I'm four square against civil rights and for precisely that reason, because right. all of those civil rights statutes are war and actions of Congress. That's the nicest way I know to say that. Yeah. Well, here's and you can't I, do it that way. Yeah, here's the way I said, Bill. Uh, the legal system itself has become like the, the bubonic plague. Okay, it built up to a peak, but then after enough organisms were killed off by its uh, own actions, okay, it couldn't uh, progress anymore. It couldn't expand anymore. 
there just weren't enough uh, meat bodies in close enough proximities to transfer it, and so then it, kept, it died out. Well, the legal system has done the same thing. It's committed so many heinous crimes against humanity, it's killing itself. It's committing suicide. Every time it commits an act uh, of, of uh, vengeance or retribution, whatever, against uh, the people who are trying to rein it in, it's just putting another nail in its own coffin. Yeah, the snake is eating its tail. And ours at the same time. That yeah, makes it's it even logical. worse. It, 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 the yeah. legal system is its own worst enemy. And pretty soon it's going to be brought to light. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, Randy. we got to move on, honey. Okay. Okay. Thank thanks you. for checking in. Oh, wait. Wait, one more thing. Someone wants to know what's the title of the paper you said that's on the Internet? Oh, there are several of them. The Scam of the Legal System. The Scam of the Legal System. Okay. Yeah. Like the heartbreak of psoriasis, you know. <laughs> that's, that's a little <laughs> there you go. It says Randy Gomez on there. Huh? Randy. says Randy Gomez. Does it have yeah. your name on it? Go on. G-A-U-M-O-N-D. Got it. Okay, thank you. Also, I uh, wrote a book uh, yeah, called, uh, oh, well, I've written several, uh, but uh, that's uh, one of my most uh, vitriolic ones. Uh, okay. And uh, so, anyway, thanks for uh, taking my call, Angie, and uh, good uh, talking with you, Bill. Good. Thank you very right. much. Sure. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, Alan, you've been unmuted. Hey. I know you waited a long time. Go ahead. Hi, hi. Hi, Angie. Hi. Yeah, my buddy. Oh, how uh, yeah. what do you have on your mind? Okay, Bill. Bill, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, uh, uh, you know, I just, I agree Speak with... Speak up, Alan. I can barely hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. I agree with uh, you and the last caller, both of you guys, and uh, yet, I, to me, it just seems that you guys are missing a point. Like, you were talking about the... Uh, you were talking about the uh, Magna Carta and stuff, you know. Back in the day, like you're in Heracourt jurisdiction in, in the U.S. is, is came, I think the, the original one was the federal one. And um, that was inherited from King Court, right, which is what it was originally. And uh, there, thereby, you know, that's where a man uh, faces another man over a controversy. And then... Then there's, there was the legal courts that were put into play, like Chancery and, and uh, Exchequer and stuff. And so, anyways, when, when we set up uh, our countries and stuff, we kept our inherent court of jurisdiction, which is the third branch of our government. That's the one that people need to find, right? And you've got the federal one down there. Um, what they're pulling us into with tax court, federal court, like the no-name federal court, you know, not the U.S. federal court or federal district court, and uh, uh, all the other legal courts, those are all legislative courts that were, were created by the legislative body. So a man has no voice in those courts whatsoever. And that's, and that's you know, you've touched on this a couple of times listening to you. You know, you need the, the court of inherent jurisdiction that goes, goes back, not the legal court, right? And, that's, and this is where I agree, and that's where a guy needs to make a claim. And from what, and I've seen this work. Also, I bet you there's some kind of code or something that you can enforce, or not enforce, but e- evoke uh, your right to be uh, be heard or to even to defend yourself in a court of inherent jurisdiction. I, I bet you any money there's a code down there. 
there is up here, you know, on the north side of the 49th, but uh, um, I bet you any money. And I, I believe that a man getting his own court going, you know, somebody's coming on to you about something, and uh, you, you, you try and work it out with settling the matter with the guy, and if he persists with, uh, you know, bringing down the legal hammer on top of your head when you're not even confident to play in their, in their playpen there, uh, that, that's when you bring it over. And you're talking about, you know, they're all fraud. It's all fraud, all these guys. But, you know, people, I see people in these legislative, statutory, um, you know, administrative courts, and they're, and they're basically crying out, hey, listen, I'm not acting as that. I wasn't acting as that at that time. And nobody can hear them in there. It's like they don't want to hear you, and they just keep on going. So getting out of their courts, those legislative courts, that they could, the legal system created, uh, or created for the legal system, legal society, is the number one thing. And finding your inherent court of jurisdiction is the number one thing. I truly believe that. And I wish I, I wish I seen more guys, you know, putting their effort into filing their own claims in the proper court of jurisdiction for a man or a woman, and and less time arguing about what a goddamn person is. You know, I just did a video on the person thing to throw on YouTube. It's just you know, it's just it's just crazy how we get sidelined with with stupid stuff. While while the legal association is taking away our homes, <laughs> taking away our freedoms, and for what? For nothing. You know, if there's no if there's no uh, uh, verifiable claim before the court, and there's no bill for damages, there's no case. Simple as that. But anyways, you, you guys got me going there, so I had to rant a bit. No, that's okay. I do that up myself on occasion too, and I agree with you about our own courts. It's just a matter of definition. And in the earlier times, I'm going to be asking our local clerk uh, by letter, the federal district court. In earlier times, when I could actually get in there, they had what they called a miscellaneous document or docket. Right. And I wonder if that's the docket where you would file cases like that. But the problem I have with it is, I'm convinced that those district courts, as you said, are legislative tribunals. How could they at one and the same time exercise judicial power? Isn't there a separation of powers issue there, not to mention delegation of authority? So I'm convinced that neither of them are. That's why I say the federal circuit courts in the concurrent and with the state court, I believe, are the courts that we need to hit. That the Constitution mandates it, the Supreme Court recognizes it. That's where I think we can force the action. And once we get into there, the ball game is over. As far as I'm concerned, that's our court. An attorney can't come in there without our permission, and they're not going to get it from me. Anyone who wants to come in there, like you know, you see Microsoft and Bill Gates can come in there as a CEO, fine, no problem. Deciding an example, but attorneys cannot because they haven't been appointed. They're not going to be practicing law without a license. That's exactly the area I want to hit and get into, and stop them oh, from yeah. doing it. You know, whoever who, look, whoever moves the court, that's who the court belongs to. That's who makes the rules of the court. Those are those are the his rules that you abide by, his or hers, right? So if you're and in another again, man's court, right, um, uh, in a in in a, a legal court, and another man's moving the court, the first thing I, I first thing I want to know is how the hell did you get jurisdiction over me? All right. So give me the finding of facts and the conclusions of law that shows that you have jurisdiction over a man over this matter. 
because I haven't seen any. The first thing, my first instinct is to challenge jurisdiction. Right? Well, you didn't pay your taxes, okay? You're a tax protester or whatever, right? Well, show me the law that forces a man to act as a taxpayer. You know? Yeah, that's, that's the bill of particulars. That's exactly what I do. Verifiable claim from the other side and a bill of damages. A bill of damages is huge, right? Right? The bill for damages? I mean, if there's yeah. no, no harm, there's no foul. Right? So where's the bill of damages? Why are we even here? Because you want to use the legal the legal system to force me to act as a as a, in, in in voluntary servitude to what? To IRS? I never even dated IRS. <laughs> no? So like you know, these are the things and I think the more and more people like you sound like you're really you're you're you know, um Sound like you're really on the threshold of finding the proper court where you can have standing, and you can bring another man, and that other man can't bring his title into that court. And in a hair court of jurisdiction, uh-uh. you ain't hiding behind no toe. Everybody's naked in that court, and a lot of guys confuse, you know, jury trials with trial by jury. You know, a jury trial is just a legal trial. That's where. You know, there's, there's, they have 12 people that aren't even really your peers, but 12 citizens, and, and, uh, and then no matter how, how they feel, the judge still decides whether you're guilty or innocent, and, they, and he tells the jury uh, what they're going to do, right? Uh, their only job in a legal trial, like a, a jury trial, is, is to decide how guilty are you, what is the just punishment for you, whereas in a trial by jury. Uh, the magistrate has no say whatsoever. He has nothing to say. It's all to the jury. And in fact, the early juries used to go out and do all the investigating, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you know, back in the day. You know, that you probably are familiar with the case of Brailsford v. Georgia, where the Supreme Court made most of those points. But the beauty nowadays is, you know, I think it's the Fifth or Sixth Amendment that says that the trial by jury, you know, is in the district where the crime occurred. Well, the problem with that is we're not in state judicial districts here. We're in territorial venues. Therefore, even if you have a right to trial by jury, it's impossible to get one now, isn't it? State versus territory, Article 4, Section 3. That's where we're going to get them. And Article 4, Section 4, where the government guarantees to the states a Republican form of government. We start asking those questions and get away from the 4th, 5th, and 6th Amendments we're going to do a hell of a lot better. And that's why, because there's no right to trial by jury, and yet we haven't made any waiver of it, has we? Especially not a voluntary, knowing, and intelligent waiver. That's the reference standard of the Supreme Court. Johnson v. Zerbst, Z-E-R-B-S-T, uh, 304 U.S. 458. They can't prove that you did that. That beats them. You know, what are they going to do? Uh, they can't show it unless they're going to claim the 14th Amendment, and they don't want to do that against me, and they won't want to do it against you either. That's the only hope they have. And yet I've got that beat. I have 150 pages in three different briefs on that argument. They're not going to win it unless they declare right. there's no Constitution. Right. And I've seen a couple so that, things. Like, you know, sometimes, sometimes when uh, gov.com has taken a man or a woman to court, Sometimes they do end up uh, in actually a court of inherent jurisdiction, 
because um, the, they're the highest courts in the land. And, and, and um, the court of inherent jurisdiction, that's where the judge wears many hats. <laughs> it can hear pretty much everything, right? And uh, so, like, sometimes uh, gov.com makes a mistake and, and will get you into a court where a man has standing. And this is where I've seen with my own eyes and witness uh, and done it myself, actually, where, where you flip the judge, you know, where you get the judge and the judge knows there's a man standing before the court. And flipping a judge is one of the most wonderful, beautiful things I've ever seen. It's, it's, I've seen the judge go from being, you know, just that judge and they're ramming you through one second and threatening you and throwing hissy fits to, to all of a sudden protecting your rights and attacking the prosecutor, the, the, the crown or the state or whatever. And, uh, oh, man, it's, it's poetry when that happens. I just love it. So, yeah, knowing the court that you're in is uh, number one, and, or the court you're at, the court you're in, whatever. That is number one issue. And then challenging jurisdiction, I believe, is right there, 1.2. <laughs> you know, because you need to know, you have a right to know why somebody has hauled you up into this public forum. And, and how did you get me up here? You know, because jurisdiction means control, right? And, you know, how did you control me to get to this point? Who are you? Right? Well, you did this, and you did this, and you did this. Okay, well, is there a verifiable claim before the court? Well, no, there isn't. Okay, well, then how about a bill of damages? What did I do? You know, how can I, how can I uh, compensate for, for the wrong you say I do? <coughs> and those are the important questions. And if they don't have that, they don't have a case, then you, gotta, you have to get your butt out of their legal courts. You have to. You know, if challenging jurisdiction is the only way you can do it, that's fine. If you know how to play with loopholes and you do want to go in as a defendant and have them define the law because the law has to be expressed, you know, it can't be open for interpretation, uh, that's fine too if you're that good and, and savvy. But uh, um, I try to work it out with the prosecutor right away, challenge the jurisdiction right away, ask for questions, go to my courthouse, um, of inherent jurisdiction, make my claim, and haul their ass into court to answer the questions that I've been trying to get them to answer, right, with my claim. You know, you can't prove fraud. I mean, but you can prove extortion. You damn well can prove extortion. And up here, these 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 Crown attorneys, they their first first thing, the first piece of paperwork you get is extortion. You know, if you, if you come and plead guilty, we'll only do this to you, and if you don't, well, then we'll see, right? And if that is an extortion by way of threat, I don't know what is. And they do it up here like bubblegum. You guys don't have that problem down there as much. Yeah, we do and we don't. We have plea bargain issues that I personally don't get into, but we're somewhat similarly situated in that, you know, because you get, you know, if you go to the trial by zero, you pay for it. But they just had a thing in today's internet. That's all it's got to kid, 15-year-old kid refused a 25-year sentence, and he went to trial by jury. He got convicted, got 65 years, and he didn't do anything wow. wrong the way it looks like to me. So we have that here, too. It's not uncommon. But we just have to get into our courts and say, wait a minute. And here, you know, the Supreme Court has said what the rules are and what they have to do, especially in criminal cases. You know, that's why my cases get dismissed, why I have never been to a jury. You know, and, you know, they don't know what to do, and yet they have the 
sworn duty to do it, and they don't know. That's the power we have. You get out from under. And raising the issues I raise. That's why it's so important to get into the proper court of jurisdiction. Because if you're yes, not, there is if one, you're or get out of one and force them to violate their own rules, which is what I've been doing on the defensive side. You know, that's okay. why I've been unbeaten over the course of four decades. So I think we're on substantially similar tracks. There's no question about that. Just different jurisdictions and different setups, but the same issues come into play here. Great, great. Well, does does like an administrative hearing officer have a have an oath? Does what? Well, does does a judge does a judge in a in a legal uh, proceeding even have an oath, or are they just hired? Yeah. That's no, they get, again. I make the point that all these judges, just like attorneys, have to be appointed by the president, and they haven't been. That's not a loophole. That's a structural jurisdictional error here. That's a big one, and I can prove they're not states. They do not want to go there with me. I can prove it. Anybody that takes a look at the stuff, so that's where we get them because they're they're sitting there without any authority, and that's treason, not to mention fraud, and it's provable. That's your claim of jurisdiction right there. That's your challenge of jurisdiction right there. That's what I just saw from what you said. It is. You're saying, wait a minute, you violated all six articles of the Constitution here by what you're doing, and you haven't got the authority to do any of it. So that's what's worked very well for me defensively. And I'm trying to convert it on the offensive side right now. I'll have more to say about that hopefully the next time that I'm on. But, you know, I'm getting some real redress agreements and starting to have success on that side of the equation. It's taken a long time for me to get there. I've got most of the pieces in place for that now or I wouldn't be doing it. So that's the exciting part. We start to do that. How many of those black little bastards do you have to go to jail before they get the point? How many is it going to take? I don't know. I hope to find out, but I don't know right now. But that's the kind of power that we have if we use it properly. Great. I, and I totally agree. And when I was listening to you earlier, I said, this man's on the right track. He's going to find his court. And those guys are in trouble after that. And uh, yeah, they that's, sure what I will. Will. that's exactly what I hope happens. And the same thing hopefully will apply in, in, foreign, in foreign jurisdictions as well, you know, especially one based on English principles of common law. You know, they go back 800 years. You know, if we get back to that, it still won't be perfect. But boy, will it be a lot better than what we have now. Uh, you know, and we can work out, you know, whatever issues have to be resolved. But if we get back to that, like we should have, to restore it, that's what I want to see happen. And see what well, the government think, thinks. Is I'm an un- I don't think any of us lost it. I think well, we just haven't been using it, and so like it's covered in dust in a corner somewhere in the basement. Yeah, one think. way to look at it, although they've done a really good job of, uh, you know, for example, the Judiciary Act of 1911, getting rid of the, the federal circuit courts that existed until that time, Judiciary Act of 1925 abolishing the common law writ of error, or at least so they say, and now the only well, way they can get there is file a writ of certiorari, and by the good graces of them wanting to hear your case, it'll get heard. That's not how it works. Well, you know, yeah, I got him dead up because that's one thing I learned when I was entering, when I enter paperwork into their court, my court, anybody's court. What I do is I find, I find their paperwork, you know, on the subject, you know, say it's a rib air or something. I find their their piece of paperwork and I write my own, 
and I just staple them together. And on theirs, I just put for the for the purpose, uh, you know, um, for the ease uh, uh, ease of filing purpose only. And then I have my my notice attached to that. And I found that's worked really good because all their paperwork in those courts are copywritten. <laughs> it's theirs. It's private paperwork. And so whenever you use their shit, you're giving them jurisdiction. So I just use it just as an example to give the court clerks an idea of uh, where I'm going with my paperwork. And then uh, don't, 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 uh, don't really engage uh, accepting legal advice for any from any court clerk where I'm trying to do uh, whatever task that I need to do at my public courthouse. Hmm, that's interesting that's, way to look at it. Well, that's a good trick I learned. Man. Oh, yeah, I know. You look at their paperwork. It says copyright. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I've not noticed that here, but it might be somewhat the same thing. But in any event, since they don't have any jurisdiction and it can be proven, it doesn't matter what they file or don't file, and they never answer me, ever. And they have the sworn yeah. duty to do that. That's how the charges get dismissed all the time, because they can't do it. And if that issue goes up to the 904th and they make a ruling on the record, that's not just my case. That's everybody, all like-situated victims can use that decision. That's where we beat them. It isn't just our case here. How many, That's more have, How many cases have you defended successfully uh, using using that method? Well, I have overall a 24 and 0 record. Now, some of those, to be sure, didn't in, in, occur in court, but primarily for the reason that they don't today. It's, I mean, it's impossible, and it was up until 2016 for me to get in jail, especially in California, until he did it in South Carolina came along. But I've had about nine or ten in their courts where we file our documents and the charges get dismissed because that's the only option they have. They can't answer it and they can't convict us of anything. I would love to get cases in front of a jury. That's the last place you're ever going to see me. They cannot afford to have that happen. So we get dismissals and now I put together the pieces of the puzzle here to start making them pay for all of this. That's the magic bullet, and that's what I'm working on. I've got cases actively in progress right now in several jurisdictions, and we're going to see what develops here. And if they don't answer in the, in the state assembly and the governor's office, that's another default. And now we're going to file an original action in the Supreme Court of the United States. Original Which is action. your original court of inherent jurisdiction, isn't it? What? I believe it is. What was that? I lost. What was that? I I believe that the court you just mentioned, right, is the yeah. original court of, of jurisdiction. No, but no, the original jurisdiction of the court, not the appellate jurisdiction. There's an no, no, appellate no, side no, and I'm an original side. Appellate. No, I'm not talking about appellates because that's totally legal. That's totally yeah, illegal. Me either. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the original jurisdiction, and we can get there. There are ways to do that and avoid yeah. that appellate side. That's the last place we want to be. So, yeah, that's another area that's a work in progress for me. And I'm going at that as close to 24-7. In fact, the funny for that, how people have been retired, quote-unquote, for almost 11 years, but I worked harder than I ever worked when I was at my job. <laughs> so, But I love every minute of it, so that makes it really nice to boot. But, yeah, that's what's going on, and I'll be doing updates here as often as I can here and on my YouTube account. 
I put video, put a new videos up next week on that one. I'm going to be doing three or four of those next Tuesday or Wednesday. I've got to work out the schedule with my friends and cameramen for that. But I do those two. And, you know, you can check in with those, check in with my uh, uh, email, uh, which I just gave out. What's your YouTube channel called, Bill? What? What is your YouTube channel called? Oh, thank you, Angel. That YouTube channel is called Bill Henshaw Constitutional Crisis Channel. And I've got about 150 videos, much shorter than what I'm doing here. There may be eight or ten minutes. In some ways, it's a bit better because you don't get exposed to so much information so quickly. I like this, so I really do when I'm able to talk like this and get information out there and answer questions. This is very useful in its own way, too. So, yeah, that's the YouTube channel, and I'll have three or four or five of them going up end of next week. I've got to get them done on Tuesday, and we've got to do some editing and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, we'll get that done. What was your email again, you said? Oh, what? Your email? Oh, email, yeah, that's... Yeah, that says CC, California, California, A-S-P-A-R-I, at that little A thing, L-I-V-E dot com. So, yeah, please feel free to send emails and you have questions and things, and we might go back and forth about some things given the differences in jurisdictions. But we're essentially trying to do the same thing. And I hope that both of us succeed here, and with any luck, Maybe before the year is over, because I start getting these offensive cases taken off, this goes viral. Once this happens, even with an NDA, it doesn't mean I can't tell other people about this success and tell them how to do the same thing. And with the record I have in back of them, even one traffic case, I've got one in Utah right now, one traffic conviction. And we're looking at hard to put a number on it at this moment in time. But it's mid six figures to the left of the decimal point. One traffic case, given the record wow. that she set and the record I have in back of that. And they know how much trouble they're in there. I give them credit for that. They know how much trouble they're in. So this may be the first case I get settled, the first offensive petition. So that one's in process. I will get back and update reports here and on YouTube and let people know about that. Because once we start doing that, now the worm turns and we can start to reverse all this 150 odd years of BS we've been subjected to. You know, that's what I was well, hey, to I'm glad do you brought that up, Bill, because, and this is something that everybody should know, is like, okay, all these, all these guys are indemnified, right? Okay, through either, like, if they're for the government, they're indemnified the government, but they're, uh, but they're all indemnified. They all have insurance of some sort. And what happens is, and, and this is why I'm really glad you brought this up. Um, say, say you've got a, a guy that acts as a prosecutor or something, and 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 you believe that you know he's doing you wrong, and so you're doing what you're doing. Every time you make a complaint with the bar association, I think they're allowed three complaints, and then uh, and then their insurances just skyrocket. But if uh, the complaint with the Bar Association, with their indemnifier, to find out who their insurance guy is, which is not hard, and you make these complaints, and, and once they get so many complaints, their insurance premiums shoot through the, the, the ceiling, and, and it even comes to the point where they say, well, look, we're not going to indemnify you anymore. You've got too many complaints. And then when they, go to, when they go to whole court, they actually have to put up their own cash, right? Because if they lose, they've got to pay. And and so they actually will have to put up their own cash, which means these guys won't be doing so so much frivolous courts 
<laughs> you know, putting hillbilly terms, right? Like it, they'll start thinking before they act, right? And and we'll we'll have we'll start to have less and less of this happening. So you know that's really good. And if you do sue these guys, if you do sue, you know, the man that uh, that that did you wrong, and and you get into your courts and you're holding your courts and go viral. And when people start suing these guys, once they're sued once, you know, their, their indemnifier is going to say, hey, man, we can't cover you anymore. And then all of a sudden, these guys are working out of pocket. They're going to think twice about taking people to court frivolously, like they are now. Oh, a lot more than that, because the way I'm going to be doing it, the people that insert them won't even be relevant here, because I can prove they did what they've done without jurisdiction. Therefore, no immunity no affirmative defenses they will be personally liable and there may be a couple of them here in my south carolina case who are going to spend more time in jail than i did they're not going to get any breaks from me you knew damn well what you did and you did it anyway and i can prove every bit of it so i'm taking a much harder line there than i would some people the judge in south carolina is going to catch a break because i think she had the power to dismiss the case my first appearance march 23rd she didn't now, I can't prove it, but I think the reason for that was there was an ongoing federal criminal investigation of me as a domestic terrorist, something like that, or one of those right. uh, malicious-type people, and they couldn't make the case because I've never had those kind of contacts. Not that I disagree with the movement, but I have, I think, more efficient ways to do what they want to do. But I sent a couple of emails that they read them uh, in language on that very subject to a couple of these groups and say, listen, this is much better to do this way. So I'm not a you know at this point uh, you know the a militia the martial law type the militia type I'm not that they couldn't make the case but I guess it took them quite a while to figure out they couldn't do it and they left South Carolina holding the bag because I was in federal wow. custody from the day I was arrested until the day I got to Columbia South Carolina wow all that time which is 32 days federal custody not state custody. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. To... My approach is just a little different. I, I believe that whoever's, you know, I believe it's these prosecutors that need to be reeled in. They probably all need to. I mean, you know, and every every man is uh, fallible, right? But uh, I believe these prosecutors that uh, move it, move us into the court. These are the guys. These are the guys. I want to shut down. These are the guys I want to think twice before they go and call grandma and grandpa into court because they tripped on the sidewalk and jaywalked or something, you know, because it's getting crazy, man. These guys are really out of hand. So, yeah, okay, you know, oh, in my case, by the way. I'm going after the prosecutors. Well, oh, me too. In my case, it was so bad that that practicing law that they charged me with under the state statute, if they write their own paperwork, I sent them 150 pages on a case I was trying to help somebody. Page one, I'm invoking the concurrent jurisdiction of a federal circuit court. That would be outside the scope of their statute, even if it were valid. That's on page yeah. one. That's Constitutional Law 101. A room full of fourth graders is going to understand that. They didn't. What's this? Oh, my goodness, what the hell? Is, are they all that ignorant or that stupid? I don't know. Well, that's, page that's one that's of the whole thing. Your claim. That's, that's when you have to go and, and make your claim, period, separate. 
and and start well, I'm in the process of doing that, and they got denied here in California. It's a long story, but I'm in the process of doing just that. They'll be paying me the rest of my life for what they did. And if I can get two or three of them in the jail back there, I want to do it. The sake of the God who wrote out the purges complaint against me. 27 perjuries in five pages. That may not be a world wow. record, but that's got to be in the running. Wow. So, yeah, yeah I know. It's just that, just that bad. All right, gentlemen. We need to wrap this up. Thank you, okay. Alan. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you very much. Good to talk to you. Oh, sorry we ran on a little bit there. I know we did. Yeah, Money Mike, did you have something to say real quick? You want to have, you having a call or something? Yeah, it's going to be after your show's over, uh, 142306. Um, I actually was going to ask him, but uh, that was a pretty good thing that they were doing, so I'm okay. I can pass on that. All right, thanks, Mike. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it so much. You always oh, have you're quite welcome, well so I'm always glad to be on. And, oh, and let me ask you, are you free on May the 24th? 24th. Yeah, should not be a problem. Okay. So I'm we'll make it a date. Put you May on the calendar. We'll good, get I'll an update put it on my calendar you. right now. And very good phone reception here. So if I have to do it from here again, I've been very pleased. I thought I might have a problem. Thank goodness we haven't had one. So thank you for oh, having me again. We'll talk more about the FTB business later. I got some ideas. I'll send some more things up to you about that. Okay. Oh, let me catch my breath here. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much. It's been fun. Okay. It's always so fun, and it always goes by so fast. I know. But, it's um, amazing. Three uh, hours, and it just zips by. I know. It just does that. Well, this but is I enjoyed it as usual. Again, I'll look forward to seeing you right before Memorial Day, another interesting time for discussion. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, you have a great thanks, weekend. Thank okay, you. you. Everybody, thank you, thank you right, everybody bye-bye. for coming. Good night. Uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, let's see, who do we have up next time? Uh, uh, hold on a second. Uh, oh, next Thursday we're going to have a, a woman on named Lisbeth Van Leer. She's um, Christopher mm. Gronsky's wife, and she's going to give us an up well she's gonna just like class 101 for uh cryptocurrencies and all about that stuff i know nothing Ooh. about it so should be Me good either. that'll be a good learning thing i know yeah. nothing about that either and so i'll be listening to that one. <laughs> oh good thank okay. you so much and okay, uh we'll good. see thank you, you on the 24th yes 24th it's a uh, date i will be there fantastic All right, everyone. I love you. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Okay, good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.